scare, entice, and invite children into the underbelly of life as we know it. Come on a journey with the Literary Licensed Podcast as we explore in our Season 7 retrospective of Dark Family Films as part of our two-for-one. Literary License Podcast, and it's two for one. We'll be discussing two movies by the director, Morton DaCosta, and we'll be covering The Music Man and Island of Love. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Davide with us. Hello, Davide. Hi, everyone. We got Joe Randazza with us. Hello, Joe. Hey, everyone. And Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hi, guys. And I'm your host, Keyshawg. And before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Started with you, Davide. What are you up to this week? Um, first of all, I'm sorry for my voice, but I think I got a little bit sick. Again? (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's... He's working with me now. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) No, so I think, I think it's because I started working at the hospital and then my brother told me, oh, you're going to get sick at the hospital. I'm like, no, come on. Hospitals are the cleanest places you can find. Start getting those immuno shots. Yeah, to be honest, but I think it's normal. I mean... you know washing and then you know cleaning and whatever but you you go from department to department so it makes sense i mean but i'll be fine but for now it's just a little bit of i don't think it's a flu i think it's just a cold uh but besides that uh i'm very happy i love this job i've been waiting for for you i'm so happy and people are so nice and i love it and then i've been catching up a bit of my usual gnostic podcasts that i used to listen to and then i've been watching incredibles <laughs> from disney i love that movie <laughs> i like and the incredibles i'm still trying to resist the christmas infection and i don't want to watch anything infection oh what do you mean like hallmark movies <laughs> uh, yeah but unfortunately i watched home alone i can't not no watch you watched home alone Oh my God! What will happen to you now? <laughs> no, you don't. But you don't. You like Christmas movies? No, I love Christmas movies, but I don't like Christmas things in general. When the time is too early, so now we get into that point, and I'm kind of still resisting. Like, no, it's not Christmas yet, and it's like, oh, okay, let's. Well, it's it. Christmas week. Yeah, it is to be honest. So yeah, but yeah, that's you got me. a great job. You're smiling. You got a cold. Lighten up, Francis. I don't care. I don't care about the. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the experience, it can't be that bad. You, you get to experience me at work every day. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, what a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get to listen to me on the phone to patients. Oh, my God. I'm not going to comment too bad. You're learning exactly what not to do on the job. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I had yeah. this at Thursday, though. It is quite funny. Like when I get off the phone with the patient, you can hear everyone start laughing. <laughs> you're all so mean. <laughs> I know you're just mean. <laughs> so, um, uh, so um, what about yourself, Joe? What are you up to? Uh, well, uh, speaking of Christmas movies, I picked up a copy of our friend, uh, the friend of the show, Sam Irvin's Christmas Made to Order on DVD on Amazon. Oh, so, I've seen that on Hallmark. Little plug for Sam. I haven't seen it yet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It's still, it's still I've wrapped watched, in cellophane. I will I've actually watched week. several of his movies this week, and they're really good. I enjoyed them. <laughs> Who's in Made to Order? I, I think I've seen that one. Uh, I have not. Let me see. Uh. Alexa Penavega and Jonathan Bennett are in it. I I wouldn't buy these things normally, but Sam's really cool. He's been really cool to us. Yeah, so he is. I, I pick I picked up his movie when I saw it was available. Um, so I'll be checking that out uh, in the coming days. Um, Vicky and I are probably—I don't know if Keith's seen it yet. Vicky and I are probably going to be discussing this uh, <laughs> Godzilla minus one. I finally I, saw it on I Tuesday. I was trying to contain my. Whatever. I just couldn't fucking take it. It was one of the best goddamn movies I've ever seen. It's fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. I did not think I would go into a Godzilla movie and end up crying. The I movie know. Is what the absolutely fuck? beautiful. The, char- the characters are absolutely, uh, absolutely believable. You connect with them. And the other thing that struck me is I found myself not reading the subtitles at one point because the movie is me so too. damn visual that you don't need them. No, you I do exactly what's going, what on. going on. You without understand what's looking. going on without the subtitles. I mean, obviously, the subtitles are, are going to help with... But you get so engrossed in the characters. You get so engrossed in the performances and everything. The acting done through the actors' faces, the, visual, the, the visuals that are shown, everything is just so well put together. Um, and there was... Um, talked that this movie was made for 15 million the director apparently said less. i wish i had 15 million less yeah i saw so that the director like, apparently shit. had even less than that this is just good filmmaking on it a is. very low budget film a filmmaker who knew he wasn't going to have a lot of money so let's just do what we can with the resources we have but the monster the fucking monster godzilla oh, is terrifying my god <laughs> it is absolutely terrifying in this movie uh, a couple like a year or two ago, uh, uh, what is uh, uh, Chad was on with us and he told us to check out Shin Godzilla because it's apparently that was good too. He told me it was fantastic. I was like, these are my the original Godzilla, the Japanese version, yeah, Shin Godzilla, and this one are my top three. Once this comes out on Blu ray, maybe I'll watch all three again, like back to back to back, and see which one <laughs> I like best of the three. Well, the but, best part about it was the human interest story because it was so relatable how they portrayed these people after the war. I mean, yes, stuff exactly. I never thought about, you know, how their life was after we bombed them. What life was like after World War II for them. I mean, it just, holy shit, history lesson, dude. Just like, it was great. I mean, another, y'all got to see it. If you're God's by, by the way, another another good movie to see where, where uh, I mean, this isn't a monster movie per se, but um, uh, another movie that shows because uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes goes to uh, goes to Nagasaki after the bombing no is uh, the movie Mister Holmes with uh, Ian McKellen. Absolutely, I went to see it. This is in the height of the Marvel stuff, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's everything's boring because it's all Marvel stuff. Nothing yeah. original's coming out." And I go to this movie, and of course, I'm the only one in the theater. <laughs> so, 
Really? I got I to gotta go see it again because I couldn't wait for Asher because of school. So I went and watched it without him. And I was in the doghouse now. So I got to yeah. go back and see it again. Um, well, I, I think it's only a limited run. It might not be. It might already be gone from theaters. I'm. This is going to be. A, uh, Godzilla minus one might already be out. It might already be out of theaters. I don't know. You're going to have to look. Um, Are they going to stream it that quick? It'll it'll come out soon. I I, I this is a yeah, I, I'm glad one. I saw it on the big screen. I'm just this glad is a I day one Blu-ray for me. The the day it comes out, I'm 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 grabbing. Me too. It. Me too. That's definitely part of be part of my Godzilla collection. I mean, I I just can't. I just never seen anything like it. I honestly don't know what to say about. It. I just never see anything like it. I, well, it, I mean, it perfect. We've done we've done Godzilla and Godzilla from 2014. Maybe we can do Shin Godzilla and Godzilla minus one. At They're also making a new King Kong versus Godzilla movie. I saw. I thought that looked. Who's pretty... doing that? That's the that's the the other series. That's the the Warner series that's been going on. Is it with the Godzilla, Warner? Godzilla, King yeah, of Monsters. We, we, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, we cover we cover what we cover something that, that director did recently. Uh, blah, 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 blah. We did it. We did it like a couple months ago. Oh gosh, books. I know. Oh god, we did, didn't we? Yeah, I can't remember. Wait, who's directing the new one? I gotta look um, it up again. Yeah, I, I don't. I, um, but, I mean, because he did the other Godzilla movie as well. But oh, is uh, it uh, Adam Wingard? I always yes. Yeah. Yes. I thought that I thought that we had a Godzilla versus King Kong movie already from Warner. We do. This is that one. This is I, the, think this, it, I, I think it's a yeah, but I think it's uh it's not a remake. I think it's a, uh, a rematch. A continue, no, a continue, yeah, a no, rematch. continue on a continuation. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, Adam, it's Adam Wingard, Godzilla, um, and King Kong: The New Empire. Why won't nobody make War of the Gargantuas? The two scariest fucking things out of the whole bit of the whole Toho Productions, and there is no green gargantuas anywhere. <laughs> Somebody make it. Didn't that get remade like recently? No, but the if thing there is, was a new Gargantua movie out, I would have seen it. I would have watched it. It's not a King Kong versus God. It's not Godzilla versus King Kong. It's Godzilla and King Kong have to team up. Okay, yes, that, so they're going to fight Monster Zero, right? Or did we do that already? So, we did that already. So I think, I, and another thing is Adam Wingard as well. So, it's, you know, I think that you, he's got a habit of taking things and you think it's going to go one way and it goes somewhere else. You know, All if you look I at, know is that this guy. Well, I mean, if you, if you if you look at if you look at your next, or, but I mean, if you look at his other films like Your Next or The Guest, I think I missed that one. I think yeah, I missed I missed The Guest because you guys did that. The Guest, and I I don't remember I why, but I oh I, I did up, see that. Yeah, we did do I think, that. That's I, right. I had to work that week. I think I uh, I think I was working at the school that you week. You were you were. But he has a very unique way of looking at things, and has a really and he's working and it's him that's worked the script as well. So. And if you look at his scripts, I mean, even your next, you think your next is going to be going to be one thing, and when you by the time you see it, it's something totally different. Right, and that's right. That girl's kicking ass at the end, you know, and it's so, and you know, so I think that, you know, to give Adam Wingard his dues, I think that what you're going to see won't be what you expect, right. which is good. I yeah, still like the movies. I love all those movies. I love all yeah. the monster universe. I don't care. Who makes it or what? Adam I think I think if it was like Matt Reeves or someone like that directing it, I got a feeling it's probably be a lot of the same. But because he's doing it and he's doing the script as well, 
and has Dan Stevens coming back with him again. I think you're going to have, um, I think he's, he's going to take something and you're going to think it's going to be something, but it's going to be something that's going to hit you. Monarch's kind of slow. But Joe, have you guys still been watching Monarch? It's... I've only seen the first two episodes so far. We'll, well, I'll, I'll probably finish them up soon. I'm doing um, episode six today, I think. With the new Godzilla and Kong Monsterverse, the only one I didn't like was uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is the second Godzilla movie. And that's really only because it's shot so dark. dark that, like, you, like, like I had it a hard dark. time. It is dark. You can't see anything. What's going on, yeah. That's the only one that I didn't like, and that's Michael Doherty, the director. Of I Church thought of it was my TV for some reason, because it was so dark, and it's like, where is he? He's here. Where is he? He's big. By, the, by the way, Warner Brothers, Michael Doherty went and made your, your your Godzilla movie for you. Give him Trick or Treat too, for fuck's sake. Give him the money he needs. Yeah. Get him to do his passion projects. He's doing all these movies for you. Just let the guy, throw the guy a bone, and I'm sure it'll make you money. Yeah. I probably will. People are hungry for it. Did you see that the, the Godzilla does that? This the kick is kicking ass. They've never seen numbers come in on a movie like this before in a long time. Well, it's, it's old school. It's the old. It's the old word. You know, old. positive in the mouth. That's, That's what people want. Movie. Well, I know if that the movie. I know that the movie. In the, go see it. I know yeah. the movie in the UK was supposed to go straight to video. Well, it's supposed to go straight to um, DVD and Blu-ray on the 18th of December. Definitely yeah. getting Blu-ray this. And and they time. they actually they actually pulled the Blu-ray here because now they're releasing it at the cinema here on the 18th instead. Deserves it. It deserves the theatrical. You got to see it. You've got to see it. Really, really good. It's the best. The monster Godzilla. is scary. He's not Godzilla is not understanding or caring about mankind in this one. He's just vilely evil. He's mean. That's all I can say. It's the meanest Godzilla or the meanest looking Godzilla I've ever seen. He's just not even Godzilla 2000. He looked that bad. <laughs> He's just bad. Yeah, it's this one in Shin, in Shin Godzilla. He looks terrifying too. Shin Godzilla is really good too. I, that's such an underrated movie. Well, I, I don't know if it's kind of underseen. I feel like nobody's seen it. Nobody knows it's out there. Because it's those movies. People don't want to read the captions. I used to be one of those people until yeah, I realized what I was missing. I think you can see it dubbed. I think God, I think Shin Godzilla is available dubbed. I, I watch I'd rather, I rather read it than listen to that cheesy voiceover shit. Uh, I, think, I think it depends. I mean, because... With, 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 thank God for Netflix in a way, because Netflix... Has taken things, taken international things, and because they decided to spend money on dubbing, they did. Now, now they're starting to. So now you're starting to see like other films starting to have decent dubbing. It's not like I mean, I remember like when we did cover the original Godzilla on our show, right? And and I thought, okay, well, I didn't feel like I was a bit tired. I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna watch the dub version, and it was god awful <laughs> it was so bad i was like okay i'm i'm gonna have i'm just i i had to stop it start it over and read the subtitles because i couldn't deal with it because it was really bad yeah so. I mean, to me it depends on the movie like an el santo True. movie I watch that dubbed because i know that there's not going to be anything like yeah. you know well, you groundbreaking. well yeah i mean like you said though when you're watching this for this is the first movie one of the first that i actually sat there and it wasn't reading and knew what was going on like you said yeah. you know it's sort of like train to Busan. i hardly read any of that either i knew what was going on because fast action mm -hmm. you know but you really got it, the characters are so worth getting vested in <clears throat> and i'm not gonna say but i was so happy at the end <laughs> That's all I, I, I mean 
there, there's one little there's one little issue that I have, and that's that you know there's two scenes where like when, you, when you're looking at what's going on, it's, it becomes kind of obvious what's what's about to happen, but it's it's still fine. It's good storytelling. It's solid storytelling. It is solid storytelling. That's what so made what, it so successful, I think. And they're probably gonna have a second one. I bet you. I, I hope he brings back like, all the Toho production monsters. I am like, ready. God dang it! Bring them like back. This is positive word of mouth is what's driving the, you know, the box office of this movie. It's kind of like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you'd have a movie where like the first weekend it didn't do well. But, you know, you might have you might have that one friend that 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 saw it. That one friend's like, oh, that that new movie. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. You should go check it out. And then that weekend you're going to, you know, you're going to take your your wife, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. You're going to. Yeah, let's go. Let's let's go see this movie because Jim says it's good. Oh, my God, that actually is good. And you're going to go tell your friends, oh, this is good. And they're, that doesn't happen anymore because now it's all about getting that big box office pop the first weekend. Most of the times these movies suck. <laughs> and by then it's like, well, we already got your money. It doesn't matter. That's right. This one is definitely worth every penny. Uh, definitely, definitely, definitely go see this movie. Also, I've heard the holdovers is great, and I haven't. I'm probably I haven't got a chance to week. see that yet. Um, there's there's Oscar talk for Paul Giamatti for it, so I want to check it out. And it is the holiday season. And it's a holiday movie, so which um, one is that? Uh, the holdovers, the uh, the Paul Giamatti movie where. Yeah. Uh, He's the uh, he's a dean or a teacher who's. I gotta uh, go see it. My old my old mate stuck on campus with the kids that, that aren't going home to any families. So I've I've heard it's amazing. So I want to check that out. I heard good things about it. I've heard good things. Um, I I have tentative plans to see it Tuesday morning. Tuesdays are my only like definite day off now. So that's <laughs> that's it. Take it where you can, I guess. I gotta get my movies in on Tuesdays. Um, and speaking of the holidays, tonight is the Joe Bob as we're recording this. Tonight is the Joe Bob Briggs uh, holiday special, and it is the first episode of the show that I worked on as a researcher. Awesome! So Yay! This, uh, this is cool. I will be. Uh, I'll be watching it live tonight. I'll be on uh, X tweeting along, or I guess now that it's co not called Twitter, I don't think it's called tweeting anymore. I keep calling it Twitter. I can't get used to X. I don't know why. But yeah, I'll be. I'll be tweeting along with the show. So this is super cool. It's going to be the first time. Well, I'm going to have to get on my my Twitter tonight. Fuck with you. Yep. Yes, do it. Oh, you can't watch it live, can you? Because you're doing the Amazon. I can. Thing. I'll switch it. I got to switch it over anyway. Okay. I'm revamping things. You'll be watching. X You'll be xing tonight. It sounds dirty. <laughs> it sounds so dirty. Thanks, Elon. <laughs> sexting, sexting Joe on Twitter. Sexting, um, <laughs> well, we'll I mean, be, look, we'll at, I mean, look at our that, look at our Twitter feed. We have a lot of porn on our Twitter feed. I know. <laughs> get all these weird porn i get i mean people send me video and it's just uh, like what the fuck well, i mean what, of, do i come across as that kind of woman i guess i, <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm happy it's an open forum but yeah. <laughs> i have quite a, quite a few female friends who uh uh during the pandemic started only fans so i know a few people there's a lot that. of porn on my feed now too and a lot of a lot of porn people following me and i mean also uh Working, I get all working these. With, I get so working with trauma. Working with yeah. trauma, I ended up working with a lot of porn stars. Yeah, like there's Nadia a lot of them on there too. Nadia yeah. White and I follow each other on uh, on uh, Twitter, and you know she's off doing her thing. So yeah, well, there's a lot. Me is like, um, you know, join my 
OnlyFans and they'll have a video there. It's like, well, I've just seen everything that you're selling right there in your ass. Oh. <laughs> oh it's, 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 it's a bit like going to a Hollywood movie and you watch the trailer before it, which you've pretty much just seen the whole movie. It's kind of like, I don't, I don't need to go so, see the movie now. I know a few, a, a few of you guys that, that listen to this probably know I have I have multiple jobs. I I, I, uh, I do the substitute teacher thing. I work, I work on the last drive-in. And one of my jobs is working in a restaurant. Actually, two of my jobs are working in a restaurant now, but I will. Uh, th- there was one. There was one time a couple of months ago where um, I was slammed. I don't even remember like what this woman looks like, but I was left a five dollar bill as a tip with an OnlyFans account written on it. So I was just like <laughs> curious. I was like, okay, well, let me go. I, I typed it in and I go and look, and five dollars to join. And I'm like, well, I'm not giving you back your tip. <laughs> I get well, a lot of that on Instagram. Just are, hit are, after you, hit are you sure? Message. Are you sure it was the five pound tip, or was she asking you to guest star? Yeah, five bucks to guest star. <laughs> I guess those girls and guys make a lot of money on those for fans only. So, well, I I, yeah. I can't imagine. No, I think they won. I think they did it one time, but I got a feeling. I think it's. I think it's starting to bottom out. Probably it's it's overloaded with act. I mean actors. With people working there, so I don't know if it's yeah, it's so just nothing. It's a bunch of girls taking their guys taking their clothes off, and you watch what they're doing on their camera on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, the one, the ones, that, the, the ones, the ones that are coming across, I mean, coming across my thing is not naked people, it's people having hardcore sex. So, yeah, I got that too. So, but I don't, I'm, I'm just saying it's probably, I mean, I kind of so used to it now. I, I mean, I kind of wonder about porn uh, to a certain extent where it's i don't see how it makes any money because it's very easy to find free porn if you want to so yeah yeah so. well i mean the internet definitely screwed up the porn industry there's no doubt about that because yeah. you can get free i mean anytime you want to see anything any for whatever you want to see it for you can get it for free yeah you don't need that. Do people even? I, know, make I don't know. I don't know anyone that pays for porn now. I don't. Well, I don't does anybody even that. make those movies anymore? Like hardcore porn. Well, I don't. Like I, I don't. See, I don't. See, I don't see how. Well, I mean, most of these companies are online companies now, anyway. But I don't see how they make how they make money. The only thing I could sit there and think that, from a porn point of view, that probably does make money would probably be camera porn basically where people yeah. can dial in carry on a conversation and you pay them so much to do whatever you want them to do right. i can see that doing it but as far as the porn movie is concerned i can't see I how mean, i mean there's gotta, there's gotta be a lot of money in that now i mean we're not getting like 35 millimeter uh film uh mm-hmm. for porn anymore that like that's the good tough. old days like the 70s and early 80s when it was Epically artistic. In the 90s, Joe D'Amato was making those, but you're not getting that anymore. There's no, there's there's definitely no money for that anymore. I'm assuming the porn actresses now are probably not paid as much as they used to. Uh, I mean, I you, you know what? A lot of them are taking it back anyway, so they're not they're no longer under studios. There's no other thing as studios. What they are now is um, they're in control. The porn actors are in control anyway now, so they're not, so that way they're not made to do what they they don't want to do. Right. You know, because now, I mean, I know there's quite a few porn actors now that um, basically when they do porn and they release it themselves, you know, it's like, you know, they already know what they want to do and what they don't. It cuts out the middleman and they get to keep their money. Well, they also, it also, it also stops people being, um, you know, pushed, pushed into 
pushed into something they don't want to do or or to be you know or some misogynistic producer blackmailing them or all this other stuff so they get control of the content that they're in which I is good, good doc- thing, doc- really, doc- because history. i mean there was a lot of abuse going on in porn for a while oh, oh god yeah i was watching a documentary about and it just listed all these porn stars and they all died from drugs or being killed or something bad. Just boom, boom, boom. They did. A lot of them did not meet a happy end. A lot of them back in the back in the day, the actual well, I, porn stars. But I also think that back in the day though, I mean, there was, it, if it was something that you did, it's something you had to keep quiet about. And, and then you had to be embarrassed about it. It could affect your life. It could affect everyone around you. It could affect it's your family. It's everybody's dirty little secret back in the day. But now, people, you, people are celebrated for the porn. You know, if they're doing I can porn. care less. I mean, I just think that as a movie, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, look, at Tracy, I mean, sometimes I mean, look at Tracy Lords. Tracy Lords became a star because of it. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I, think, because of it. I, I think that Diana Prince. Yeah, you know, I accidentally I was I was googling her. What, like fifteen years? I was I was googling her, and by accident, Pornhub just shows up on my screen, and there she is. I was looking at was looking for you know what she had done, and the video is on my freaking screen. It doesn't. I mean, oh, you didn't know she was a porn star? I did, but I didn't expect to see her movie blast across my screen when I clicked on the link. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I, like, oh I, think that's a good, I mean, I think that's a good thing because I think that's hel- that's a healthy way of looking at people who perform in porn movies and stuff. Uh, like I didn't that. think I don't think nothing less of somebody that does that. Yeah, well, but I'm saying it, sh- it shows you how far we've all moved on, though, as far as society Jesus, goes. She's just sad. It's really she's open about it on her Twitter. She will yeah, she it up. But uh, she has said that it's cost her some opportunities, though. Like Funko Pop uh, did a Joe Bob. Uh, uh, toy but they won't do one of her because of her background in porn oh for crying but, you know, out fuck you what do you you know but she, then again if enough people wrote to them and said that they would exactly uh, where is it they would produce one because at the end of the day it's about where the but if the people are willing to spend their money they'll do one i was yeah. just looking her up that day because i saw that she was being bullied it's been a little bit since <laughs> i did that but she was getting really bullied hard on twitter for a while i mean it's still happening the, the, the bullying is she being uh, bullied uh, by men? No, probably being bullied by women, I imagine. Ugly, ugly bitches with blue hair most of the time, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah I find yeah. it's a lot of guys mostly. Like, uh, right, like, uh, just guys that can't get somebody as pretty as her, as, as you know, they just can't. Like, I mean, it's all hate, it's the hater club, is what it like, is. Uh, and then you have those that really are upset about porn, so. Like uh, uh, the porn star Riley Reed, uh, I remember there was an article a couple months ago about her, uh, uh god uh, 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 about uh, uh ex-boyfriends like treating her badly because she was in porn and i remember looking underneath it and it's like all these guys go well yeah duh what'd you what'd you expect would happen uh what you you think you're gonna find normal guys like dude what do you get like if you can't handle the fact that that the girl you're gonna date is a star, then don't date a porn star it's a job. It's a damn good paying job, too. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's got to be, I mean, you got to be a kind of a special person to be yeah. able to do porn star. <laughs> I'm, not talk, I'm talking about a working porn. I'm not talking about you a probably have a thick skin. You know? but what, well, I'm, but talking I mean, about a, I'm talking about a working porn star because at the end of the day, when you're thinking of the fact that what they have to do in their job, you got to be pretty, you got to be pretty comfortable in your own skin and pretty yeah, comfortable And I know, I mean, and, and that's a very small, minute part of the porn society that would be that comfortable and right 
that but that has nothing to say about her. I have to say about the person, really. And anyone that goes, anyone that's married to a porn star is quite happy about them, you know, working in that field. My hats off to you because I don't know if I'd be able to do it. I think I, I think I would have a, I think I'd have a jealousy strike, or I would have an insecurity, something insecure about myself, or yeah, which that that's the that's the thing I'm I'm saying is if you if you're not if you don't think you're the kind of person that can handle that, then don't date one. Don't yeah. don't date her and then mistreat her. Precisely. I also think though I was um they used to have live sex shows here and. Soho, back when Soho was Soho, before the before the new Disney fying the Disney fi gain gayness of right. Soho as it's become now, but um, and they had like this live this live sex act where this couple just have sex, and I always kind of wonder how that worked because I think it's like you know it's like what I'm working nine to five and I get like a coffee break at eleven because I about to go oh it's uh, uh, uh. oh, so like okay we'll be back coffee time and they go and they go like are you ready yeah we're ready back to work. <laughs> Because the sex couple will work like eight hours a day. I mean, and they had different sex couples, but they'd be a live show that you pay your ticket thing and the thing would come up and you watch them have sex and the thing would go down. But I always kind of wondered how that worked. And it's like, because they weren't like married. I don't think they, I don't know if they were, I don't know what their back backstories were, but I just thought to myself, like, and then I thought, God, if you're doing that. Sex would get boring. Well, I thought to myself, like, if you're doing that all day, when you go home, do you really want? It's not like taking your work home with you. Do you want to be doing that? <laughs> <laughs> so I always kind of wondered that about that. <laughs> but then again, I wonder if I, if, I, if I did if I did porn if I if I had a career in porn, I don't know. I I mean, I just kind of wonder what as far as relationship wise goes. What would my thoughts be about intimacy when I got home? Because I'm doing that during the day. Do I really want to do that? Well, you know? I guess it would just be work. And then if you had your, you know, your main squeeze at home, it wouldn't be work. If you're well, genuinely having sex with the person you love. You know? Well, it was to me, it's like a straight guy who's a gynecologist. If you're looking at it all day, do you really want to look at it? I've often wondered that, too. How could you look at that all day long and go home and want to hit it? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, so that's but... what I'm saying about it. <laughs> so that's, I, that's what I always think about. And it's, it's nothing against them. I just kind of like, I just kind of, you know, try to get my head around it a little bit. So, <laughs> how do we get into this topic? I don't know. I don't know how we get into any <laughs> of these topics. And we just started talking about, about something. Oh, at, we're talking about Twitter and how Twitter has a lot OnlyFans. Oh, the poor. <laughs> oh, that's how. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about, yeah, I'll be on Twitter tonight tweeting along with the show. Yeah, Xing, well, you'll be Xing. Xing along with the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happened. I'm like, well, how the fuck did we get to porn? And and on that note, what about yourself, Vix? What have you been up to? Not a whole lot. We're just getting ready for Christmas. Like we already talked about Godzilla. Go see it. It's worth it. Yeah. Um, I just been while well, I said I started watching some of Sam's Hallmark movies because I didn't get a chance to really check out his work. He's actually quite good at his Hallmark movies. I like his Christmas stories. Mm -hmm. Um, not doing too much. Got to go look deep, take Asher to do the lights and all that other stuff. Got to take him to see Godzilla because I went without him. But we're just having a kind of chill couple of weeks. We're just not really doing much. I just been watching my scary shows, the usual. And then when I'm not watching little scary shows, I put back Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> I kind of bipolar during the holidays. So. Bum, bum, ba -dum, bum, ba -dum. Yeah, yeah, that's it. What about you guys? I um 
Well, I've watched the well, we went to go see Wonka. Oh, uh, I forgot about that. How is it? Uh, the cast is really good. Um it's very family oriented. It's, it's it's like a it's like an old fast fa fashion family film. So I think I might not be the right demographic for it. It'd be interesting to see how the generation that it's meant for if they'll carry this movie along with them as they get older. Who's the generation? Um, well, it's the young kids. You know, it's a bit yeah. like you know, a bit like like the first time that you saw Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, or the first right. time you saw Willy Wonka, and how old you were, and how like we carry these films on with us. Who's who stars? Who's Willy Wonka in this one? So Timothy Chalamet. He's very good. He's ve he's very good. Um, Hugh Laurie as an Oompa Loompa is fantastic. <laughs> oh um, my god! Not Hugh Laurie. I mean, I'm Hugh Grant. Sorry. So Hugh Grant was on Oompa Loompa. He, he's the Oompa Loompa in it. And um, it's got a lot of, I mean, it's very, it's got a lot of English actors in it and stuff like that. The only, I mean, um, Olivia Coleman's in it and it, it looks fantastic. Is um, it different from the other versions? It's a, it's a prequel. It's a prequel. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't know so that. That's how Willy Wonka became Willy Wonka. Um, The only, the only, if I have to make some... I mean, there's some things I kind of wish because the thing is, is that because we watched Willy Wonka, the original, which, to be honest, is a big diversion from the book. The right. the Tim Burton version is more closely to the book than the, right. the Gene Wilder. But I, I enjoy the Gene Wilder version better than the Tim Burton film. So we watched the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka. So there are a few nods to there, but I kind of wish the movie was is that Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka is a bit bitter, and there's something that's happened that's the reason why he's closed everything off. So, and I was, and then you know, and then he hear, and then he tells the story how he rescued Oompa Loompas from the Snookle Dark and all these other the things. So I would, <laughs> so, I, so I was hoping that with an origin story that we would kind of get that story, but right. then I, you know, then I guess when. Um, Ferris and I were walking home and discussing it. I guess that if they did that, then we'd probably end up with a quite a down ending, which yeah. we, and you might not want that. So I can understand that. And I, but I would kind of wanted to see more of the like an Oompa Loompa origin story going on and how that all came about. And um, but it's it's a cute movie. Um, the music not very memorable, unfortunately. So they did, they were totally different music then. Yeah, yeah, it's got totally I mean, different the, movie. The okay. only song, the only the, the only two songs that um are reprised from the 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 original Willy Wonka, I mean Willy Wonka film is Oom the Oompa Loompa song, which is All sung right. by Hugh Grant, and um and Timothy singing um Pure Imagination. But you know, other than that, I mean, it's a cute film, and I and be I think it I think it's gonna be one of these things that you know families will probably carry forward every Christmas for them. Good. So, but that was cute. And then I watched Paddington. I heard those are great. So I, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, I go see it. It's it's a sweet film. You know, I just think that, you know, um, I can't really fault it. It looks fantastic. Um, the CGI is is okay. You know, there, there's nothing very jarring as far as CGI goes. Decent though. Good. Yeah. So you know, you don't go, oh God, it's not a CGI film. It's not like I would. I didn't feel that way. You know. Um, but the weirdest thing I think I seen was Candy Cane Lane, which is on Amazon Prime with I, Eddie Murphy. I, I haven't started that yet. Eddie Murphy is excellent. Everyone is excellent in it. It starts off like 
deck the halls with Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, where you know they're they're fighting right. about having the best. And then I'm not going to give anything away, but then it goes into like a very strange movie. Yeah, I'd be interested that once you see it. I don't want to give anything away, but it's it's a strange movie, and I'm not quite sure what I think about it. It's watchable, but when I was watching the trailer, I I remember the trailer taking a turn, and I'm like, wait, that's not where I expected that to go. Yeah, Yeah. it goes really, it goes really dark. Like, okay, it looks fun. Yeah, I would recommend it, sort of thing. It's something different. Good, yeah, different is good. Then Amazon Prime has just released a bunch of independent horror films for 2023. Really? Uh, there's the the final summer and so on and so forth. So I've been glancing through a couple of those. They're very low budget. So right. Um, I watched I watched one and a half. Um, so far. Uh, it's, I mean, I know they got a low budget and stuff like this. I just kind of wish that the the script. I mean, one's got Tom Matheson in it, um, and I kind of, and I kind of was just hoping that if he, if he, it's like a bunch of friends got together and and they just they hired people because they knew who they were, not because of their talent. Because <laughs> there's there's a, there's a lot of really iffy acting going on, and they're like, what? <laughs> but. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna still, go, I'm gonna still rake through them and see what's going through, and hopefully, it's something, something might shine. So I'm sure there's something shining amongst these 18 films that they just released, from, so, so check that out. But um, other than that, not a lot really. Get anything ready for the Christmas Christmas party this week? Uh, well, Thursday next week, and then off for Christmas, and then go back to work for two weeks, and then start the move. So that's about it, really. Sorting all that out. Well, on that note, I guess that brings us to The Music Man. Well, The Music Man is a 1962 American musical film directed and produced by Morton DaCosta based on Meredith Wilson's 1957 Broadway musical of the same name with, with DaCosta, who also directed that. Robert Preston reprises the title role from the stage version, starring along Shirley Jones, Buddy Hackett, Hermione Gingold, Ronnie Howard, and Paul Ford. Released by Warner Brothers on the June 19, 1962, the film was one of the biggest hits of the year and was widely acclaimed by critics. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, with composer Ray Hanroth winning Best Music, Scoring a Music Adaption, or Treatment. The film also won the Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, Musical Color Comedy, and Preston and Jones were both nominated in their respective acting categories. In 2005, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer of The Music Man and be right back. Folks, listen. May I have your attention, please? Attention, please. I can handle your troubled friend. Now you know I can. Oh, yes, I can. Please observe me if you will. I'm Professor Harold Hill. I'm speaking of a big fat picture, The Music Man. I say Broadway's biggest long-run hit is coming right here to your screen. Yes, Professor Harold Hill's on hand. Now for a peek at The Music Man. Not a big peek, just a little peek at the wonders that await you in Technicolor. Are you out there? And you, and you. (laughs) 
Hello, welcome back to the Licious License Podcast, and we're talking about The Music Man from 1962. So, Davide, what are your thoughts of The Music Man? I think it was quite a funny movie. Um, I quite liked it. Um, I gotta say, obviously, it was educational as well. I found some education stuff. I always have to find some. <laughs> um, well, it was like a mix of like a beautiful real life story with something. What I what I like to call is in like the near impossible love fairy tale. So I grew up with fairy tales. When I see like love fairy tales, I'm like, oh my god, this is, gosh, this is amazing. But at the same time, it's like, oh god, this is too good to be true you know it's like the sort of situation when it's difficult things to happen for real but you never know um i love the education side of the story that when it comes to tells you all well, its education is teaches you how not to be gullible in fact the woman in the library was the character in the story who was not gullible and falling for the guy if that makes sense although she fell for the guy eventually <laughs> um <laughs> but also kind of teaching people that kinds of dreams can come true if you try and open up because obviously you know the woman and the guy they were kind of helping each other somehow but because they were opening up to each other um but yeah it was also funny i found the um i think it was the mayor wife woman hating the Persian book and telling the librarian woman like just keep your dead book away from my daughter i don't know if you remember that scene it was quite hilarious um, I quite liked it. Kind of reminded me a bit of that. I mean, I always make comparisons to things I've watched in the past. But it kind of reminded me of like a Buffy musical episode because it felt like people just jumping in the street and start uh, dancing and singing, and it was funny. Plus, one thing I've noticed: the music and the singing was very particular. I don't think I've seen anything like that in the certain scene. Maybe in all of them, certain songs, it felt like the music and the singing imitated sounds i don't know if, if so for example on the trains men were singing with a certain rhythm that reminded you of the oh movement. the salesman the salesman the salesman i, I had to turn that off for a few minutes because i was really stoned when that came on and i was laughing so <laughs> hard that i had to turn it off and wait an hour and come back and start the movie Harold Hill, i've Harold, never watched Harold, the Harold. music band i before <laughs> And I was I think just it, laughing my ass off at the guy, the salesman. Yeah, yeah, it kind of, it, 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 at the beginning, I thought like, okay, this is like, oh my God, this is anxious. They, they kept going on and on. I'm like, oh, it looks like the train. And then later on, obviously, you have the scene with the piano and the mother and the daughter talking. And, and I love the fact that the mother is like, she's supposed to teach the daughter don't talk to strangers. She's like, no, 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 go and talk to the stranger. You need to get married. <laughs> and she's like, no thanks. Uh, that was hilarious. Oh, even the gossipy women, did they look like chicken talking to each other? <laughs> that was the whole yeah. point. I think I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in a movie. But again, there's a lot of movies I still need to watch, so I don't know. Um, but I love the the quartets. Well, not really quartet. Was it quartet? Yeah, so the Barbara yeah, Hesher was singing. It what were they singing? Me. What was that word they were saying? I can't remember now. Uh, what was that word you made him saying? Oh my god, I can't remember now. Okay. But they reminded me, I don't know if you, I was obsessed, there was a period in my life when I was obsessed with a group singing group called the Manhattan Transfer. I don't know if you remember I remember them. them. They were actually pretty damn good. I liked the Manhattan I, remember, I used to, when I was in that, when I, when I used to do uh, singing in a choir in high school, we used to listen to the Manhattan Transfer and sing their I remember music. them. So That's I, kind of remind, I didn't know anybody ever heard of that. them. 
You're the first person in 50 years that told me they know who the Manhattan Grant. No, no, I mean, I've shown my age. I love them. I love them, man. And we used to sing Daisy Musics and stuff, but I think I really liked them, to be honest. To be honest. They're actually kind of fun. It's a fun band. It really is. My father loves them. That's why. Well, they're, I, they're still going. Yeah. Well, they're, they're on, tour. They're on tour in the, Yeah, they're on tour in America at the moment. No way. Um, Aaron Paul died, the older guy, the bald guy. He died, um, but they, um, they replaced him. But the rest of them are still going. Because I saw them in concert when I was in Tulsa back in the 80s. I have oh, no wow. idea. Joe's going, who the fuck are they talking about? I think it's just casual that I know them. But then Offbeat of Avenue was my big um, discovery. Um, in the eighties, they um the Manhattan Transfers did a song called Twilight Zone, Twilight Toned, but uh, for based oh, yes, on yes, Twilight yes, Zone. Yes, yes. They did, they did a, they had a number one hit with the remake of Boy from New York City in the eighties. Um, they had um they used to win Grammys every single year for best yeah. jazz, best jazz album of the year. They did Ray's Rock House and I'm not surprised. And um, well, you probably know dum dum do 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 bum ba da 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 chun song chun song. Yeah, Sam. That that was their that's probably what brought them. It was called Javaji. They used to do movies with um. They did a movie that was directed by Danny Elfman as well, which is kind of strange. It was a strange movie with um Oingo Boingo. No kidding. Yeah. I always learn something new every every week with you guys. Yeah. That's why I like it. So. Yeah, that I mean, is just all new. What, to what me. I love about what about like about the music man is that well, first of all, it's written by Burgess Meredith. I mean Bur Burgess Meredith. <laughs> ah, it's like what are you talking about? I mean, wait a second. What? Um, I didn't know Burgess <laughs> Meredith wrote a screenplay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, Meredith Wilson. Sorry, Meredith Wilson also wrote um, the unsinkable Molly Brown as well. Right. Um, but another thing, I mean, you hear you hear a um, Meredith, but Meredith Wilson song every single year anyway around this right. time because he wrote "It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas." He wrote that. So, but um, what I quite like about this, what I like about the Music Man in general, anyway, is that. Normally, what you have in a Hollywood musical is that basically you watch this Hollywood musical and then you have these dance numbers or these chorus numbers come up and all these people that you've never fucking seen in the whole movie just pop up out of nowhere. <laughs> Here, what I like what Morton Acosta did with this film is that all these people you see in every single scene, all these dancers that show up are in every single scene that you see. Whenever you see all the townspeople, they're all there. And he utilizes all of them all the time. I mean, Margaret Wicks is in every single scene. Harmony Gingold's, you know, she's she's there. You see Shirley Jones actually in you know in the chorus in the chorus dancing sequences, and that's what I, you know, and that's what I quite like about this. She movie. was actually hiding a pregnancy during this. Yeah, she's pregnant for she Patrick Cassidy. She's pregnant yeah. for wasn't she? But what and that's what I quite like, and I like the. You know, even like in the Shapoopy number with Buddy Hackett. I mean, the thing is, is that they they cast Buddy Hackett, who uh, who they had, because the thing is, he's supposed to be from Iowa. So what they did is they changed the storyline to make him from Brooklyn. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. And so, oh, so Ono, and he goes, and Buddy Hacker goes, goes to Ono White, and it's quite. There's a good documentary about the making of it. He goes to Ono White, and he goes, he goes, I can't fucking dance, Ono. I can't fucking dance. <laughs> and Ono goes, show me what you can do. And he, he goes, okay. Then she goes, go. Can you do this? Can you do that? She goes, fine. He goes, so he goes, she goes, leave it with me. I'll be back for the week. And when he, when she came back to him, he goes, he took. She took all his characteristics and turned it into the dance to Poopy, and then. And so that's why when you see him dancing and stuff like that in there, and that's why he looks like he can dance because she did that. And I, and I like the way that they were able to incorporate certain things in there. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the original Broadway cast is in there. Perk Helton's in there or uh, Marion's mother. She's original to the show. Paul Ford is always brilliant. And, you know, Paul Ford from all the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, he provides the voices in that. Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Uh, Frosty the Snowman, he provides the voices for those. Those um, animated cartoons that we grew up in the, during Christmas in America. So, and you know, but I mean, I, I think the music band is a stellar movie. I can't, I can't fault So do I. I can't find nothing wrong with it. And now, uh, thanks to Conan O'Brien and Phil Hartman, uh, in the '90s, uh, doing their uh, uh, doing a parody of the Music Man on The Simpsons with the Marge versus the Monorail episode, mm -hmm. it's kind of taken on a whole new life uh, for for those of us that watch that show. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, the Monorail Salesman is uh, uh, is based on the main character here? Uh, that song and dance number in the uh, in the gymnasium here is recreated for the Simpsons for one of the most famous songs that, uh, that monorail song. Um, some of the, uh, some of the voice beats, uh, you know, at the, at the beginning, right before the song are, are taken directly from the music man, you know, uh, with, uh, um, Phil Hartman's, uh, Lyle Landley saying, there's nothing on earth, like a genuine, a genuine electrified six car monorail. And it's almost exactly taken from the music man, almost, for, you know, just, just beat for beat so that's uh, that, that's that's a really cool thing is it's kind of taken on like a little life of its own he's a con man who's traveling around at the end uh uh marge is the one that finds out that he you know every, every all these other places that he's mentioned he's been to they all see him as like this con man the ending's a bit different there's no redemption uh in the simpsons uh like there is here um but yeah, that was that, that was one of the things that really stood that, that that really stood out uh uh on this is that yeah, that that episode, one of the most beloved Simpsons episodes, is entirely a parody of this movie. I mean, another thing I like about the music man as well is that I think the reason why it's a lifelong credit and it's gonna live onwards and onwards. I mean it's it's, it's performed all around the world on stage and stuff like that. But it's basically the con man, but basically, if, if you take out him being a, sale, a a salesman, put him in as a politician. Yeah. Yo, we got trouble. Our, you know, we got trouble in our country, right here in our country. You know, you know, the capital T. That's yeah, you know, then need find something. Cool. Like, you know, whether whether it's like you know, you know, immigration or crime or sex or television or films or horror films or whatever you want to throw at it. This is what we're fed. And of course, what happens is then all of a sudden it's like it brings up a friend and everyone's going, "Yes, I agree with you." Without looking like, oh, actually, he's just using. Well, they hated against. salesmen, didn't they? Yeah, but what I'm saying, but he's also a politician. If you look at that thing, it's, oh, like, absolutely. That's what, that's what politics is today. Is basically that thing. 
I know, mean, it's a, a politician. A politician, whether they're running for the state or for president or prime minister, they come in or a political party comes in and goes, we got trouble, folks. Our yeah. trouble is this. And this is why we have trouble is because of blah, yeah, blah. Every blah, day. Every day. You know? And then they get everyone worked up in a frenzy. And the next thing you know, it's like, vote for us because we're going to solve this problem. And it's like, and it's always like something that's quite, it's not what it's always something that even though it doesn't really matter in our lives what they're talking about because, but they turn it to like all of a sudden now this matters in our lives because the things that do matter in our lives is as long as you can work and eat and pay your bills and stuff like this but they'll come up with this other stuff and you're like what <laughs> you know i remember we had it over here um we had it over here in the, the 90s and the 2000s where there's a pedophile in every corner. There's a pedophile in every corner. It's like, and everything got, so now what we have is now we have this thing. Here we are 20 years later and we have fat children because everyone's so afraid to let their children go out to play. We have kids like that because they will not get off of their tablets and out from No, it's not. But, but, but what I'm saying is that they in this country they 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 brought everyone to such a frenzy that they're they were afraid to go out. Well, the, well, the kids don't. Well, you did have like the Yorkshire Ripper and all them other fuckers. Well, Yorkshire Ripper that went after prostitutes in the seventies. It's totally different. Pro, I I'm mean, just saying you've had your share of killers and crazies. No, no. There. I mean, no. The thing is, I mean, the, as far as the as far as pedophile cases are concerned, ninety nine percent of them are family friends and people you know. Oh, absolutely. One percent. So basically. Yeah. So them going outside, and what I'm saying is that they created this frenzy sort of thing. So basically, parents are afraid for their children to go walk to school. They're afraid for their kids to go outside and play. They're afraid for all this stuff. stuff. And this is like four tablets. And of course, it's, and you know, this fear is still going on now. And it's created this frenzy, and the government created that frenzy. Um, another, I mean, another thing is basically um, this newspaper art article created this frenzy about inoculating your children in this country, but saying that MMR creates autism. Well, now we found out two years later is that he lied. The whole thing is a lie. And then, and so we got, you know, so it created this frenzy. It's like, oh, we got problems here. This is this, 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 this. And so now parents don't inoculate their children. So in our country at the moment, because people no longer inoculate because they're, they're afraid of it, we now have polio in the UK, whooping cough, scarlet fever, German measles. And um, our kids got polio and he just died from polio. In our century, that's so people don't trust the government or the medical community anymore because of COVID. I won't get flu shot anymore. But, I mean, no, I'm not. But what I'm saying, I think that's what that, it is. What I'm think... saying is, is that basically what you do is uh, that you bring up a frenzy, take something, yeah. make it a platform, Every day. get Every everyone day. friends up on it from people, and then people get scared about it, and then run it and you get, you get what you want. And that's what I quite like about the music man because that's what he is. He, he's frenzied this whole town up to sell his goods. <laughs> and he knew exactly who to frenzy up to. It was the older ladies and all the, the old peahens there. <laughs> what was that one lady she kept giving her crap of reading Balzac? <laughs> you know, you know but that, but that, I mean, you got that about book banning and books, you know, banning books and all the other stuff. I mean, it's, it's all happening. All this stuff happens today. So, and we still fall for it. We fall for a lot of it, you know. And that's what I try. I, I, <laughs> I mean, that, so, that, that, that's right like music man, because that's that's the thing. It's all about taking someone's fear and selling it for your own benefit. Oh, I mean, God, the United States government it made a career out of it. I think, I think it, was, it was Robert Preston was great though. In it, though I mean, they they wanted to carry Grant for it. I guess Meredith. What was her name? Meredith. Meredith. Wilson. Meredith. Was that her Wilson, name was in it. 
She wouldn't be in the movie unless Robert Preston was in the movie. But he, he did. Jones. No, 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 it wasn't her. It was. Oh, wait, not Rob, not Cary Grant. They said Robert Preston who was doing the lead role on Broadway was not even offered the role until Cary Grant. They offered it to Cary Grant. Shirley Jones. Oh, God, what was her name? I cannot find it now. But she would not do it unless Robert Preston was in it. Not Vernon Reed. Not Vernon Reed. That's what he just said. But Meredith Wilson. Meredith Wilson. She's the one that wouldn't do it. He. It's a he. He, I mean. <laughs> Get your pronouns right, woman. <laughs> I don't even go there. You know, I, my only pronouns are F and U. You know that. <laughs> but, you know, um, Shirley Jones was, I watched this interview with Shirley Jones about the making of this. And she sat there and said that Robert Preston was very bizarre to work with. And really bizarre in a good way because she said she said that that he's you, different. No, but no, she's what made him bizarre. She said when that you got trouble. The thing is, is that they had the they had the film that quite a few times. Really? Because, well, that was a hard scene, though. Think because they get different Courtney. angles. But she said every time he did it, and he did it live each time, and he would hit exact points every single time and then she said she goes she goes i know for a fact we did it more than 75 times what do you mean exact point basically he stepped on this note here he had to step on that note there he had to be here 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 had a point there had a point there on certain notes and everything like that and every single time he was picture perfect so and and um and they and they, so they didn't have to cut around anything of his and they she said that you can you can see every single cut and he's perfect at every single cut. Just that they had to do it that many times to get the crowd scenes in and be able to get the different angles. Cause they had, they had, to, they had, to, they filmed everything with one camera. She's saying, um, because they, I didn't they, know that 75 uh, takes. Well, they 75 takes so they can get the, so they can have 75 different angles. Cause, cause right. Martin didn't know which take he wanted, um, which take he wanted to use and what cut he wanted to use. And while he was putting it together for the editors, oh, but to, for him to sit there and hit it seventy-five times, picture perfect, spot I, on spot on spot. He never for, sung yeah. before this movie, though. <laughs> this was he never did musicals. This was his first musical. This is the first time he ever sang. That's what acting for film is, though, is making sure that you that you get the block about a good chunk of it is making sure you get the blocking right and you get and you get the same performance or you mm. give the same performance almost every time so that it's easier to edit and easier to, to make everything work. So, yeah, that's, it just, I mean, it shows his dedication. I mean, he, he came over from the Broadway show, right? So he, yeah. he knew his stuff. Yeah. Which is and, fantastic. That's why, and I think in a way, Robert Preston's, I think it's, I don't think whoever does this role and I've seen Matthew Broderick did it and I've seen clips of, Will and Grace guy do it, and I've seen Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackman do it, do it, and I've seen other people do it. And because Robert Preston's so perfect in this role, I think he's kind of ruined it for other people in a way. I think you're right too. I don't really think I can see anybody else doing it. But and Hugh even Jackman, I like I said, I didn't even know he did musicals until last week when I was looking for these movies, and then I came across Oklahoma with Hugh Jackson. I had no knowledge of that. Hugh Jackman's Oklahoma, if you get a chance to watch it, it's the most fantastic thing you ever saw. That Oklahoma was great. I watched it on Max was, the other day. Wasn't he also was in uh, Les Miserables uh, movie that came out a couple years back? Yeah, he did that one. Um, I, he's the only one that could sing in that movie. So 
I didn't know he was so talented. I just oh, yeah. thought he, he was a badass. He was on Broadway. You know? He played um he played Peter Allen in um The Boys from Oz. And he was a lot of him. a lot of tough guy actors were song and dance guys. Uh, but I didn't I knew about his tough Cagney. stuff, but I never yeah, knew about this. Yeah, Cagney, the other one, Cagney was a huge song and dance guy. Right. Chris well, Wal- I think it goes without saying. Christopher Walken started off yeah, in musicals. For Walken also, I didn't yeah. know he was in musicals. Who do you know who the original Danny Zuko in Greece was on on in in London? Richard Gere. No. Richard Gere? Was the original Zuko. Can he sing? Yeah. Do you know who the original Rizzo? You know who you know the first the first Rizzo in the in the history of the world is? Adrian Barbeau. I could dig it. She was the original Rizzo. So I'm just saying that a lot of these um people start come from the stage and then it's like off they go on to Burr. I mean, um for me, another thing is Music Man is there's a couple films that I find are better than the stage show. And it's Music Man, well, three Music Man, Sound of Music, and West Side Story. And for some reason, the way that because there are slight differences in the stage show, the, the songs are in different places and so on and so forth. But for some reason, for whenever I see the, the movies of these and, I, and then I see the musical stage show, it's the only time I know that I find them film a lot better than the stage show. I don't know. I saw I saw the both, but like I said, my daughter took me to see the Music mm-hmm. Man at then the Dallas Theater, one of the theaters here, and I had it's a great time. It's act. It was really well done. Of course, they don't have the bells and whistles that the bigger companies have, but they did a good job. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a good really show, fun. but for some reason, I think it's. But because, I kept thinking Robert Preston. <laughs> I, th- I think it's because there are songs that are moved around in the film that are not. That are in different and are a different position in the stage show. For some reason, same thing. Um, same thing with West Side Story. I mean, you see West Side Story. America uh-huh. is is not the females. It's just the the um the females. There's no men in America on stage in the West Side Story, for instance. Right. Here, I mean, if you look at here, there are a bunch of songs that are moved around and stuff like that. But for some reason, the movie flows better than the the stage show, which I think is Brendan. And another interesting thing is that that song "Good Night, My Someone" and '76 Trombones. They're both the same song. Yeah, I noticed that. It's a different time signature. One's in three four time. The other one's in um, six eight time. I noticed that. The same notes. Yeah, exact same notes actually. Same song. So it's just an enjoyable musical. It's great for Christmas time. It's like one of those. I was just like the, one of those highly vibrational things. Doesn't drag you down. Great storytelling. Great music. I mean, it's all done so well. There's really no downside to it, at least for me, anyway. It's got little Ronnie Howard. Little I was Ronnie just about Howard, to bring him up. Which Marion Ross, Marion Ross actually made a reference to him on Happy Days, saying that Opie that he looked like you know the little boy from The Music Man. She was talking about Ron Howard. So yeah, they they kind of threw a few things in there. Mm. I mean, who would have thought he'd become one of the biggest directors of all time? No shit. I mean, we were watching him on Andy Griffiths. You know, I don't remember the show when it first came out, but I know it was on. And he was little Opie. I'd have never thought little Opie grow up to be a huge, you know, dynamo. He grew up to be uh, Richie Cunningham, and then uh, yeah, well, Ron director. Howard did a couple of movies with Shirley Jones when he was younger as well. There are yes. three or four movies he did with Shirley Jones, which is kind of He bizarre. did a lot of stuff, actually, but I, I just never thought he was going to grow up to be Ron yeah. Howard, you know? Well, I thought he was hoping not Ron days. Howard. You know? So, but I mean, I I mean, I mean, remember seeing, um, 
you know, I've seen a couple. I mean, I'm a I'm a Shirley Jones fan fan anyway. I'm I always, love her too. I always have. You know, ever since the Partridge Family, I mean, God, uh, the Partridge Family. They, I think, I can so relatable. The '70s yeah. people would have never understood. People don't understand Plaid Bell Bottoms. But I mean, um, I mean, he was in like three movies with um, with Shirley Jones after the Music Man. So like the courtship of Eddie's father and Village of the Giants, and it's like, oh, so I'll be, so some, I I always kind of wonder if those because I don't hear too much about the two of them, but I kind of wonder if they really hit it off or something because it's kind of weird to have them. Like I'm just saying, it's quite weird that you know he did three movies back to you know back to back with her. Well, that's like so, Sharon Stone. She kind of helped Leo DiCaprio's career around because she really liked him a lot, and she wanted him in was it um, Dead, Quick and the Dead, and she had to have Leo DiCaprio in the movie. She just really liked him. Some actresses yeah. take them under their wing, I guess. I guess it. Happens. Well, I mean, Ron Howard was quite a big star in this, in this at this point anyway, and Shirley Jones as a little boy. Yeah, well, he was. I mean, he was. When did yeah. when did Mayberry start? When, when was that like? 1950s. Was it in the fifties? Like, yeah, really, yeah, he would have like fifties. So what is he? That that for ten years, didn't it? How old is he now? God, he's like sixty or seventy. Seventies guy. Gotta be right? seventy. Now, now look it up. That's probably pushing if you think about it, because yeah, uh, the Andy Griffith show was. Almost seventy years ago, Andy Griffith show ran from nineteen sixty 1960 to nineteen sixty eight. Okay, sixty. Okay, so all right, it was sixty years ago. So yeah, he's got to be in his mid to late seventies at least. Uh, he's ten years older than me. He's so sixty nine. He, yep, he's sixty nine, and he's he's from Duncan, Oklahoma. I do have to sit there and say he's better looking than his brother. So. <laughs> oh. Don't be unkind. Oh, poor Clint. I know. Levi, he's such, probably such a nice man. And he really actually does do well in his horror movies. So, and everything. Well, that's what they're saying. He showed up everywhere. Well, I mean, I mean Ron, Ron Howard and um, his brother Clint were in like two of the biggest rated TV shows of their time because he was doing Andy Griffin and, he, and he, his brother was doing Gentle Ben at the same time. Oh, he was doing. He's a little boy in Gentle Ben, ben yeah. Uh, I totally forgot about Gentle Ben. Oh my god! <laughs> the fucking shit we used to watch back then. <laughs> but the great, but the great thing is, as long as Ronnie Howard's directing, Clint will always be working. <laughs> I, he, I mean, yeah, he's he's in all his brother's movies, but he's become a bit of a cult persona himself. So oh, yeah. yeah, he has. Yes, he definitely has. I love oh, he's, seeing him. he's like Ted Raimi. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ted Raimi and Clint Howard—they both just show up randomly. And Sean Gunn now. Mm. Sean Gunn shows up in all his brother's movies. Yeah, yeah, I quite like that actually. I mean, I like seeing. I think it's kind of cool. Show up. Well, he never. They are, in 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 all these cases, they never go. Hey, my brother's going to be the star of the movie. The brother always has a supporting role somewhere, which I'm yeah. fine with because yeah. you know, I don't think uh, you know. I don't know. I'm mean, Clint Howard. I guess I don't know if he can lead a movie. The Ice Cream Man is pretty iconic. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I I have to sit there and say I rather have. I wish M Knight had a brother, so M Knight's brother could do the roles that he's putting himself in his own yes. movies. <laughs> uh -oh. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just a good. Can you get hello? Great score, though. Yeah. So, but um, I just yeah, completely I mean, lost I, you guys for a minute. I can um, see you moving and speaking.
Well, I guess what we should do is maybe rate the music, man. So, Vicky, how many stars would you give the music, man? I'm definitely going to give it five Robert Prestons. You can't get, go wrong with this, man. I mean, it's, if, even if you don't like musicals, you'll like it. I mean, it's catchy. And, and you do know some of the songs. I guarantee you know some of the songs. Because mm -hmm. of stuff we probably did in school when we were little, you know. But it's definitely worth a five. It's just a beautiful movie. What about yourself, Davide? How many stars do you give it? Um, I really like the movie. I wouldn't put it on the top of the top. But I would still like it, so I'll give it a four out of five. And what about yourself, Joe? Uh, five. It's iconic. It's beautifully shot, beautifully made, uh, pretty pitch perfect. Um, yeah, I, I would have I would have to go five for this one. I'm going to give it a solid five, and there's a lot of reasons for the solid five. It's Shirley Jones is brilliant. Robert Preston's brilliant. And I love a movie that highlights all the character actors and all the character oh, actors. Oh, the character actors. All the way through. That, that, we always remember that. Like, even for um, all of our uh, episodes we did of a big guy that does scary movies, The Birds. Oh, Alfred Hitchcock. Not Alfred Hitchcock. I need some more fucking coffee, guys. But I mean, we were talking about all the, the secondary characters that he always put in his movies, and they are so important. And I don't know if anybody even represents secondary characters like they used to back in the day. But, I mean, like the old lady. The old lady was mad about. She wanted to burn books. You know, she was upset about. I love Hermione Gingold is fantastic, though. Everything she does was. I mean, I mean, she did Stephen Sondheim's wait. Um. A little night music and she was you know she was if you see this clips of her on stage doing that she's fucking brilliant she was like in her stuff gg she's in gg um she was brilliant um uh, if you look at um margaret wicks you know from she did sister act one oh that's two. right she was in there too that's right was, I forgot uh, about um, her. And then, and, you know and you see her like in the old you know abbott and costello films and you yes see yes and absolutely and the funny thing about it is that margaret wick's last movie was hunt the, the animated feature is a gargoyle and hunchback of notre dame and then you look at buddy hackett's last film was this um uh, seagull and little mermaid Buddy Hackett was such a good guy in this. I mean, I, Buddy Hackett didn't really get a whole lot of creds back in the day, did he? But I even, like, I even like the two teenagers, like Great Honk and E-Gads. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, I know. Yeah, I forgot about that. You just got to watch it to, to understand what we're yeah. talking about. It's so yeah, worth and it. I love, and I love that the costumes are fantastic. The... You know the the sequences like Mary and the um the Mary and the Librarian the way that that's filmed the way that it's all choreographed and, it, and, and you know they did that all in one take most of that's done in one take. I know I was sitting there wondering I wonder how many takes did this do this this and that and it's just because God it's so involved all the choreography. I just think it and the problem that we have with musicals nowadays is that they don't know how to film the dance numbers at all nowadays. It's all like quite quick edits and quick. It was like the new West Side Story. That we're was here, fast. yeah. But West Side Story is another one that they knew. They knew what they were doing when they because now the new one, not the old one. Here, you can see what you can see. The, I mean, you see you see their legs moving. It's not yeah. just from the, the you know the waist up, and it, yeah, and I think that's what's quite great. I said before, another thing is you can tell that everyone was there. You know, like they cast everyone in their parts and stuff like this. They cast the chorus people, the town people, and they were on set all the time. Apparently, they every if like if you weren't called, you were on set still. 
and, I, and that's what, and I think that's what this film kind of has. It has that sense of community. It's Does like, Robert Preston just continually play the scumbag that always wants to? He eventually comes out on top. He always plays some form of scumbag. Well, I mean, his next musical, his next <laughs> musical would be um, Mame with Lucille Ball. Yeah. He plays um, Beauregard Pickett Burnside, which is quite fitting. And then, of course, Victor Victoria. Well, he was kind of a dirtbag in that too, but I love him. Yeah. I love Robert Preston in that movie. I can't. Well, I gotta find Victor Victoria. I gotta buy it because I haven't seen it in so long. It's like one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> Well, speaking of Robert Preston, our next movie is Island of Love, which is a 1963 American comedy film directed by Morton DaCosta and written by David R. Schwartz. The film stars Robert Preston, Tony Rando, Georgia Mall, Walter Matthau, Betty Bruce, and Vassell Labrinos. The film was released by Warner Brothers on June 12, 1963. Due to unpopular, the film reception was not well received. Uh, most of the business is semi-revived. Um, Damon Runyon. It was compared to Guys and Dolls, saying it was kind of a, mi a mixed match of that without the fun. It would actually kill Doc, uh, Morton DeCosta's film career, and he would go back to winning Tonys on Broadway stage. What we're going to do is run off to see the trailer for Island of Love, and we'll be right back. We're on Hydra, one of the legendary islands of Greece. It's a short distance from Athens, but untold miles from our modern age. The peaceful tempo of this quiet hideaway was turned into bedlam, when Warner Brothers decided this was the perfect spot to film the exterior scenes for the Technicolor picture, Island of Love. Where cameras and movie makers go, sight technicians building their own Grecian ruins for the picture. Since this was going to be the Island of Love, a temple of love with appropriately classic statuary was a must. Instead of resenting Hollywood's disregard for their own authentic ruins, the natives quickly got into the mood and before one of the stars of the picture prepared for his turn before the cameras, while some lesser-known web-footed players responded with alacrity to direction. Sometimes an actor is required to do strange things for his art. Ask Tony Randall. And if the natives of Hydra regarded director Morton DaCosta, his stars Robert Preston, Tony Randall, and Georgia Mall as merry and delightful people, although a little mad, their reactions are not hard to understand. We're sure they'll find Island of Love as much fun to see as it was to make. Hello, welcome back to the Show License Podcast. We're discussing Island of Love. So, Joe, what are your thoughts of Island of Love? Well, my I went into this last night thinking because of how it ended Morton DaCosta's career thinking this was going to be this massive, unwatchable train Horrible wreck. piece of shit. I know. But it's not. It's not. And I don't understand how this movie, which is relatively well made, you know, and maybe not the most original concept. Right. You know, like, yeah, the comparison to Guys and Dolls and Keith's introduction is, right. is pretty apt. And I, while I understand that it wasn't the most original thing, I don't understand how this movie would have ended somebody's career. I don't get it don't... at all. I mean, was yeah, he like... do something in Hollywood that he got blackballed or something? <laughs> I, I think it's just, you know, I mean, look at what happens to the lead characters in this movie. They make a movie that is a failure 
It yes, kind of exactly. Life imitating art. The movie and the movie, the movie fails. And I mean, hopefully he didn't have any mobsters coming after him. But... Oh my God, Walter fucking Matthau, man. Weird. What the fuck? <laughs> Walter Matthau. Walter Matthau's great in this. I think he's my favorite. I think he's my favorite part of this movie. How did he even did he, that, that, did he come out of the womb as an old man, though? That's did what I was telling you guys. The womb as an old man. That's what I was yeah. asking y'all. I've that never seen Mickey, a movie where Mickey he looks young. The other day. And she's like, this, did he just always have like an old man face? No matter what year it is. But he's like the male version of Angela Lansbury because she always looked old. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they do. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there was even an Elvis movie where she was younger than Elvis but played his mother. His mother, yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. But if you watch her in that movie, Samson and Delilah, she's like the princess in that with Victor Mature and Hedy, not Hedy Lamar. I can't remember who it was. But uh, she she was in that, and she's like 17 in that. You should look her pictures up. She looks young in that. Well, I mean, even, but Gaslight. Even, Gaslight was her first movie, and she looks about 40, 30 to 40 years old. <laughs> she, she just looks like a mature in that. Well, she just had a mature-looking face, that's all. You know, Manchurian Candidate. She plays Harvey Lee, Lee Harvey's Lawrence Harvey. Sorry, Lawrence Harvey Lee Harvey, Lawrence Harvey's Lee mother Harvey. in that. And she and Lawrence Harvey is like seven years older than she. Is. I don't get it either. A I guess some woman. people just. Yeah. But Walter Matthau just looks like he was born old. I mean, did he even yeah. was he even an infant? I. I he, love came it, the, he came out of the womb at thirty-seven. Oh yeah. my god! But you gotta admit he's fun to watch in this movie. He just makes the film. He actually stole him and Tony Randall steal the entire film. Actually, because oh. Tony Randall's just like, what did he, he kept having a bad dream about something? It was like, what did he kept saying he was having a bad dream about? He just knew that his life was over because they were gonna get him in trouble, and they kept throwing water on him and making him look like he was diving for all that shit they were throwing up the archaeological evidence into the water. <laughs> I mean, they just fucked with Tony Randall throughout this whole movie. I love Tony Randall in this. I mean, he was epically funny. I mean, I don't see anything really bad. It wasn't as great as Music Man. I get it. But it was a good movie. I was laughing. I mean, I thought it was funny. I think the way that it was filmed, it kind of reminded me of those films in, that came out around this time, like G the Gidget films and stuff like that. Yes. It had that kind of yeah. film quality to it. So, you know, and, um, you know, it... It did. I mean, there there was a when I'm watching the you know this is the first time I've seen it. I've never seen it before. Um, I haven't either. But Same. this is the first I time. Was, I was expecting um, Sandra D to pop up at some point yeah. because I had to kind of feel about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those kind of nineteen sixty three. Yeah, it did kind of have a Gidget vibe a little bit. Or a or a net or a net Funicello. Frank, 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 it had more of a net Funicello vibe than a Gidget vibe. Yeah. yeah. But it had well, that yeah. kind of film quality, that 1963, you know, the ones that you watch on a Sunday afternoon. And yeah. you watch movies and you kind of watch them. And then they, they got go, a look oh, about them. We never quite remember what you just saw. Like, if you ask, like, two days later what you saw, and you go, oh, I saw some movie. It was quite but good. you're right. They do have some kind of vibe and some kind of look to them. That kind of particular film and that yeah. around that time before we were born. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But Walter yeah. Matt, though, Jesus Christ, I couldn't stop laughing. I, I I would love to see the takeouts from this movie. There has to be oh, takeouts. Yeah. The, I mean, they probably haven't survived. Yeah, I mean, sadly. Because uh, that's one thing. Vicky and I both, uh, yeah, uh, first off, this movie is 
if you're not getting a DVD, you're not yeah, finding I'll sell it, it to anyway. you for 50 bucks right here. I've got it. I've got a copy. <laughs> this bucks. is just like, wow. I cannot believe. And I, I mean, I, and you know, we're never going to get any outtakes or anything released because this movie apparently, yeah. from, from all it. From all looks, it looks like it's being buried by Warner Brothers. Like if you buy it on it Amazon, that way. you're getting a burned DVDR. When yeah. you put it in the disc, it's just a blue screen with a Warner logo, and all. And your option is play movie, and that That's is it. That's what I got. I got the exact same thing. There's no it's like, Easter it's eggs. Like you're lucky. Play movie because you're lucky. You're even getting that. Well, I just got it yesterday and finished it this morning. I was getting nervous. I was going to have to start watching excerpts on YouTube to have the conversation. <laughs> I mean, it took for it was supposed to be here Sunday. It's just like, oh my God, where's my movie? <laughs> this also serves us right for doing for for ordering the DVD the week before we, we needed better. it, or a couple days before we needed it, uh, and it's during the holiday, well, so of course Amazon's going to get delayed. Though. I usually can find. Anything, anywhere. I no matter what, I can find a movie I'm looking for. Whether it's one of these hack sites that I have to have a VPN and supercharged malware thing on my computer, but I usually find them. This movie, you could at least rent it on Prime for like three bucks. Well, it was there on Prime, but it wasn't even there. They said unavailable. It's it was there, but it was unavailable to watch. But whatever, we, we managed to get our hands on it. But yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get any outtakes for this movie or any anything for this movie. Oh, because man, it just it seems good. like Warner's just kind of like, yeah, we own it. And that's it. It's not really true. you think it was me. kind of a schlocky slapstick kind of, you know, with, with the, uh, the music and how the shit ends towards the end with the gangsters coming to Greece? And- I mean, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I think I think maybe part of the problem that people have with this is you know early on exactly where it's going as soon as she right. says her, so it, it takes a long time to get around to the point and maybe that's something that uh, that audiences and uh, critics didn't really like but I'm of the opinion that the cast is so charming in it yeah you can, they get, you can get away with a lot with them I think I asked yep. Kate this morning. On WhatsApp, and I've noticed this through Dark Shadows and a lot of movies this time. Was that the formula they had, like the newscast formulas we have on TV? Older man, beautiful young woman. Is that what they did, the kind of way things were back then? I don't remember. No, I mean, the thing is, I mean, they're still like that. I mean, that's like, you see a film with Warren Beatty and the wife's normally 30 years old. So, I mean, it's still going on today. I mean, recently Tom Cruise, uh, you know, Tom Cruise was criticized because he's, in his six, in his late fifties, early sixties, and his 60s. late like thirty five. Yeah, I mean, it's still goes on. I mean, you still see it today. It's just that I think men. I think I just think men just go for more plastic surgery than I do. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, th- this is actually a, a real life thing. Uh, the, uh, I'm sure people listening to this know who Charles Band is, the guy who, uh, you know, the, uh, the the owner of Full Moon Entertainment. He just mar- He's seventy two years old. And he just married uh, Robin Sidney, who's the lead in a lot of uh, a lot of his movies for the last twenty years, and uh, she's forty years old. And I saw a lot of comments like beating them up over the age gap, and I'm like, you know, oh fuck off! I can't say anything about age gap at the moment. That's no, you definitely can't say anything about any age gap. But I still love you, buddy. That is. <laughs> that is. She's forty years old. I think the age gap at that point doesn't doesn't matter anymore. When the younger person is is especially when the younger person's in their forties, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, whatever. 
Oh, I mean, that's I stupid. She's a grown age, woman. Age well, I mean, I if my 92-year-old mother decided wanting to date, say, Davide, I would have an issue with that. You know, there are limits, you know, to what you well, can do. I mean, I think, I think it also, I think, to be honest, when it comes to age difference anyway, I mean, you know, and this has nothing to do with the film, I think it has to do with the simple fact that I think you have to look at maturity levels situations. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, so, and I think it's somewhere somewhere meeting somewhere in the middle as far as your maturity levels go. I I I think it's doable. If something happens though, let's say that you're, you know, <laughs> we're not getting in trouble. If um, if something happens, <laughs> I you're just like, spit it out. If you're in your fifties and you're dating a twenty year old who acts like a thirteen year old, then yeah, it's like yeah. you kind of going, okay, what's going on here? Situation. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, uh, but but at the same time, it's like, you know, like I think that you know, it's. I mean, I have to say, I probably would have frowned upon it a year from. Well, I'm just saying, there's just something about that. Well, we used to laugh all the time because who was it? Uh, in Dark Shadows was always hitting on Victoria, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, he was. Yeah. But, but I it think was that... something about this time. There was very gentle. They, they looked like polished gentlemen going out with very, very younger girls. I just noticed that yeah. for all these films. It was acceptable back then. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it seems that... Even but I also think it's because um, you also have to... I think it also has to do with the Hollywood system and at that time as well, because if a woman hit past 30, her career was almost over. And right, the men's right. careers seemed to go on a lot longer at that time, so... So I imagine it's like, you know, trying to match them up is like, well, those, these actresses, they're no longer being hired anymore. Right. So, you know, well, look at poor that. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, what they did to those two poor women. Yeah, they know? became hags. Uh, they, they did the hagsploitation movies. And they were really those are fucking there. excellent, though. I still like them. I mean, yeah, I finally but, watched the X movie with, what is it, the X killer, whatever. With uh, Joan yeah, um, homicidal. Preserve. Um, whatever that movie is with Joan Crawford's acts. I finally watched that. You know, that was one of the better performances I've seen her. She was actually really quite good in it. Yeah. It's, you it's could tell she with, was too good for that role. It's up there with her uh, Mildred Pierce role. Yeah. <laughs> Mildred <laughs> Pierce, that was a good, that was excellent. But, was you, excellent. Know, the, you know, if you want to put things in perspective, you do know that Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, when they did Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, they were only in their 50s. Yeah. That was over the hill back then. You know, they weren't. They weren't in their seventies like you think they Women were. Women well, age differently but now. I was. I, mean, I said it before on this show. When you watch the Golden Girls, right? You're watching the Golden Girls. You know they're only in their fifties. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Women age differently and, now. And and, and and they're playing people in their fifties. They're not playing people in their sixties or seventies. They're, oh. they're playing people in their fifties. And you're kind of. Yeah. And it's funny, but when you think about it, and you think, oh, well, they're retired. They're not retired. They're all working. No, they're all working. None of them are, of them are on their pension. They're all got jobs. It's the hair. It was the hair women. Perspective. Jennifer yeah. Connelly in Top Gun Maverick is the same age as the women, uh, roughly the same age as the women in the Golden Girls. Yeah, yeah she looks fantastic. Yeah. So if you want to, so, if you want to, you know what it is, and I'll tell you what it is. They used to always want to dress you like like your grandmothers and women. I mean, I'll go to the complete like I go into a store now. And they've got all this old fucking lady clothing that I will never wear. I will never wear old lady clothing. I have to gravitate to the people, other side of the store. But do to, people to wear old lady clothing clothes. anymore though? Okay. I don't I mean if I look at the if I look at people my age running around, women you know, women I work with and stuff like that, and they're all around my age. I don't see anyone wearing old 
women clothing. No, this is this is what I'm so, saying. What's in the so store? They're, like so just they're selling it. Who's buying store. it? But look at the women's it? section. Then look at the young. <laughs> excuse me, the young, younger girl section. <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> big difference. Totally big there. difference. Okay. Pretty clothes, ugly old lady clothes, and they still do it to us. We're just smart and will not buy that rubbish anymore. Uh, that's why I, that's we why wear I, our I don't see a lot of people buying that, so it's kind of weird. Without that the helmet, trying to sell the, the helmet hair, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a while there where women would wrap their hair up in toilet paper and go to bed you know, back in the day. But I mean, that I thought that was long gone. That was like 80s shit. So. No, no one does that anymore. No one was doing it in the 80s. But, we just stopped dressing like our parents. What but, then again, but then again, I guess if you're looking, but if you also look at the time this film was made, I mean, it, it was old men making decisions. How old was Robert Preston when he made this? He went to 40s? I don't know. He could be in his thirties, but he just men just kind of you know, just look older. Because he, he's because I mean, if you look at if you look at him in the Music Man, and then you see him in Mame, which is ten years later, right. and then you see him ten years later in Victor Victoria, he looks the same age. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. How, did so, the man just stay the same age forever? He doesn't. He didn't. I mean, he looked a little different in Victor Victoria. You could tell he gotten older. Well, he's gotten older, but um, but he still had it. I mean, he was singing and dancing still. And... I bet I, but I've kind of wondered, you know, but I mean, I kind of wondered the whole young girls, young women thing against older men casting. I kind of wonder if that's just male Hollywood. Maybe. Hollywood, Hollywood's run by like a bunch of old men at that time. Well, do you and, think that men they would, interjected they would make that, that They would make the final decisions about who to hire and all this stuff. And they'll be but the ones. Do you think men interjected the part of the, the sexism, I might say? Well, I think so, because if you, if you think of the simple fact that, you know, if you look at women films in general, there's not a lot of them in this time period. No. It's very rare to get a women film, you know, I mean, and even if and even if you did get women films, I guess Madame X and um, and Imitation of Life that were going on around this time, you know, these are, you know, they're women films, but in the way that, the, I mean, the women are. I mean, they're, they're not hooking up with young men, though. Well, they're but they're paying for the sins that they're doing, like you know, like Madame X. She's so, so, I mean, she's she has to pay for her sins, and in imitation of life, she pays for her sins because because she has a career. Therefore, she doesn't have a relationship, and she has a horrible relationship with her daughter, and so on and so right. forth. So even the women films of that time, if the women didn't fit this, fit this. Well, thing, like I was saying, it was not, a dark shadow she, she wasn't the perfect mother and the perfect housewife, you know, and the woman would have to pay for that that sin situation yeah. so and where i guess so if you book a younger w girl in or something like that well she doesn't really have a career so all she wants to do is get married so i guess you kind of get away with it maybe or, or or in the music man where we had the we had the opposite where we had uh uh shirley jones uh kind of being the career woman but it it, it is weird spinster, though isn't she she's considered a spinster yeah, oh. that, that's the point I was I was about to well, make. Well, if you were over 25 back then and not married, everybody thought you were an well, old Well, I mean, I mean, you know, if you look at her, basically, the reason why the women don't speak to her is because she, her friend's father, she helped, you know, I, I, he got sick. And so, um, so she went over and helped him. And then all comes, oh, you know, he gave her the library because, you know, she was sleeping with him in the middle of the night. Da-da-da-da-da. You know, that's the thing is like none of that happened, you know, it's just, you know, gossip. But 
you know, so back in Island of Love, I got, you know, it might have simple fact that, you know, if you took up a woman that's supposed to be Robert Preston's age, I guess she would either have to have been a widow, a widow, or a divorcee. But I mean, you don't really see divorcees in nineteen, you know, nineteen sixties cinema, really. No, dude. I'm just saw, wondering because I just noticed it. Thought after after uh, after the Hayes Code went under, but yeah, during yeah. that time, divorcees were not. They were persona. Did they really strictly enforce that Hayes Code? I mean, were they on everybody's mm. ass? Well, yeah. Ass? I mean, well, They're I mean, just, let's look yeah. at here. I mean, they, you know. Any talk of sex in this movie is suggestive. You don't see anything. You don't. Right. They don't. You know, they don't outward say it. I mean, you have to. You but know, all you the pre-code movies, they just don't seem. Maybe I'm just jaded and and numb. I don't know. But they don't seem like. I guess it would freak people out back then. I assume, like freaks, for instance, or. Well, I mean, what you have is because of that, then, of course, what we have is, well, we had the same thing in the 80s with um, women against ho mothers against horror films and all that crap. You know, and, and again, we're kind of going back to the music. Like, oh, we got trouble, my friends, right here. Right yeah. here the situation. Yeah. You know, and the Hayes Code was bought because it's like, oh, these films are corrupting our youth. They're corrupting our family code. The They're Reaper Madness, one of my all-time favorites. The original Madame X from, from 1929. If you watch that, that movie is something else, man. There's really? there's all these he's out having orgies and like this is you know the, and that was one of those movies that got nominated for I think best director and best picture or the equivalent the twenties the twenties or the newer one nineteen twenty nine nineteen twenty nine one um, well I mean even look at silent even look at the biblical pictures <laughs> well sign of the cross was the one that like really like just like laid it out for the censors oh what are you talking about the cecil b to mill shit yeah because he had he had straight up nudity in those movies and they were not happy with it i mean well i mean when you're having an orgy you know you gotta you gotta have some nudity but then again if you're showing sodom and gomorrah that's kind of the point isn't it <laughs> no. yep oh my god how funny cecil b to mill he was something else wasn't he but then, yeah, his movie, like people think of his movies from like the fifties, the and I'm like, those movies are very tame compared to the movies he was making in the thirties. Yeah, you know, and I think you know, and as I said before, as I, you know, when you have, you know, all it takes is a group, a bunch of bored suburban housewives to grab onto something, and next thing you know, it's like, oh, God, they redid this twelve times. What, Madame yeah. X? Yes. Yeah. Damn. I'm a Douglas Kirk fan, so I really like the Douglas Kirk version of it with Lana Turner. So, so I got I, I have that on DVD. I have not watched it yet. I've only seen the 29 and the 37 versions. Uh, the the other one's very soap opery because it's Douglas. I mean, if you like, if you if you're familiar with Douglas Kirk, whether it's you know what is it, um, uh, Lord um, an Obsession, or <laughs> uh, what was the other but, one? I was just. Looking at the other day, I was going to watch. In black. Huh? Portrait in Black. That's his. Portrait well. in Black is also Douglas Sirk. Uh, there's a high, really high good melodrama. He made a really good horror melodrama with Lucille Ball and Boris Karloff and uh, George Sanders called Lord. Oh, I, I really like that one. But they get they have the soap opery very you know. I mean, like, Madame X lends itself to that. It always had that kind of soap opery thing. Oh yeah, and 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 you even get like that soap opera music you used to get in the sixties. Like, it's like something dramatic happened. The organ would come in. 
it's a soundtrack. So I'm looking at it right now. I'm gonna pull it off my shelf. I'm gonna watch it over the next couple of days. I gotta I gotta see the Lana Turner version. Well, and it, uh, yeah, Portrait in Black is the other movie on the DVD with it. So and John John Forsyth and Ricardo Montalban and Mar- Burgess Meredith. I've been well. seeing Burgess Meredith lately too. <laughs> I love it. We talked a lot about it in the last podcast. So, but um, but Island of Love. I mean, it's it's an interesting film because the thing is, it's very watchable. And I had to say, I did smile at a couple things, and I did laugh, and I wasn't bored. You know, I know. I wasn't bored at all. I did find Walter Matthau. Well, they did. That wasn't my imagination. It said Walter Matthau's accent comes and goes throughout the picture. Yeah. <laughs> because one does. minute he'd have it, and then he wouldn't. It's like, oh, it's he did do that. It wasn't my imagination. I had to say, I think this is the first time I've ever seen Walter Matthau put on an accent. It's the first time I've seen him put on an accent. I've never seen him put on an accent in any other thing I've ever seen him do. Well, Tony Randall, I don't know what happened with that with that little moon. I was gonna say it was moon, moon, <laughs> moon. I mean, I oh, at the very I, end, I, he's calling out for her. Yeah, moon. I mean, Tony Randall is in one of my almost uh, one of my favorite films of all time, um, The Seven Faces of Doctor Lau. So whenever oh, I can well, see I him, anything, right. I'll watch him because I, I didn't can... even know that was Tony Randall. That he told me it was him, and I've watched that movie. I don't know how many times I didn't know it was Tony freaking Randall in it. But if you watch, um, you know what is? It? I mean, he did a lot of those Rock Hudson Doris Day movies as well. Right, he, right. I mean, those movies are they're really hard to sit through. But when he comes on, he just lightens up every single scene that he's in. He like he's, he's just some. He's got some kind of presence about him that just makes you. I just I know Miss Felix under, but I have seen a lot of his other movies, and he was just a really crackerjack comedian for the day. He just was. Well, he played the first gay TV star, gay, gay TV role in uh, a short um, sitcom they called Love Sydney. That I ran vaguely with, remember it. It ran with Susie Kurtz, and it was the first. It was the first show that was surrounded by. I mean, he wasn't homosexual in real life. Right. It was the first show that had a homosexual main character. I've always and thought Robert Preston was gay or bisexual up until today. Yeah. Um, and he was married. Did not know. He was married, and then apparently he wasn't bisexual or anything like that. Or I don't know. I, I wonder I, how he got slapped with that stigma. I think Victor Victoria, because he was so convincing in that they kind of he was convincing. Like, I, I swear, I thought he was gay. Hmm? Like, like there, there, there's a stigma to musicals that they're you know that they're quote unquote gay. So that's probably part. I of don't it. think of that when I'm watching musicals, though. Well, it's kind of weird though because I think I think it does have a. A slight thing because I mean, if you look at other people like Gordon McRae and people like that, you know, I think people thought they were quite light in the loafers, but come to right, find out right. they weren't at all. So, but then again, I get you know, but then you look at some of these Western stars and they were, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, I guess it's the difference between being a man's man and a man's situation. So, well, I mean, the whole the whole thing was slapstick, though. You knew there was going to be problems. You knew the problems were all going to tie in in the back end of the story. And then you found out that Walter Matthau was going to be Robert Preston's uncle by marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that they're, they're going to kill him up until the moment. Stop! He He's my relative. And then they have the real... He's my nephew! I know. Then they had the old Greek guy in there. I cannot remember his name. It's on the top tip of my tongue. But he played. He was in, in, he, he was in my Big Fat Greek, Greek Wedding. 
Yeah. yeah. The, the one yeah, with the window. I mean, he was perfect. He was in Zorba, too. I cannot yeah. remember his name's eluding me right now. But, I mean, he was he really brilliant. good at that. He was perfect for that part, just the Greek part. I mean, they had that nailed right down. But when they're throwing well, what about the, the, the relics into the water, oh. What about the nympho girl chasing Tony Randall around? Moon! Like, okay, Moon! <laughs> Moon. <laughs> like, God, does she, she really wants it. Oh, she was madly in love with him. But then he did decide to love her and he realized she wasn't. Well, she was always trying to take her, but she was always trying to take him upstairs to her bedroom. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, and he was drunk all the time. Movie. I'm starting to wonder if he was pickled actually in real life for that movie because he looked so unhealthy, but Every was actually just the way they made him look. Drinking was so savoir faire back then. No one was an alcoholic. And if they were, no one gave a shit because they all drank just as much. You know, I mean, just tickle your I mean, finger to drink all day long. But I also think there's some like some really good gems in this movie as well. I mean, like the part where, you know, the, the alcohol bottle, like he comes over for a drink and he has to go through this thing to this thing to this oh, thing. Oh, yeah, to find his booze. He goes through all that. Yeah. And, like, I, and I quite liked, and I quite, and I, the thing I would have liked more is to see them making that film. Because that film looked ridiculous. Oh, my like, God. I know. But the Adam, they had that snake. Did you see that fucking snake they had? And then she's allergic to apples, and they got this crazy lady doing the. Well, what, what about the guy playing Adam? Are you starting to smoke? But it, that was it. Was I don't know why they got such hateful reviews. It wasn't that bad. Well, you know what? You know what I think it is is that if you look at Morn da Costa, hit it out of the park with a an, an iconic film, Anti Mame, right. which. Roz and Russell and Auntie Mame, when you see Auntie Mame, I mean, it is an iconic film, and it's it one is. you can watch over and over and over again. It's perfection. It is. Then he does The Music Man, another film that's perfection. I mean, I mean, these two films are basically part of the film idiom of our lives situation. I mean, they're still very, you know, they come out Blu-ray. Exactly. They're they're, They've you got know. staying power. That's absolutely true. And I think, you know, and I think that when this came out, this doesn't live up to those two films. And I think maybe that's it, really. Because Possibly. I, and I'm kind of wondering that, you know, if you look at, um, if you look at anti, if you look at anti Mame, I mean, he, he, Morton DaCosta in the making of that fought really hard for Coral Brown. And he fought really, really hard to bring um, the original Agnes Gooch in. And then again, he did the same thing with the Music Man. He had to fight tooth and nail because no, we're doing it with Bob Preston. We're doing it with Bob Preston, you know. And you know, and it, we're bringing we're bringing some of the Broadway cast in. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And he fought with them. And so I'm kind of wondering if maybe he had to fight with them, the studios, with this as well. Or, or, or in this case, if you look at the way his, you know, the the. Um... The, the Adam and Eve film they're producing is being put together and he's having to, his, you know, the, 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 you know, our two main characters are having to keep fighting. They have to keep fighting to get their vision. And even then they don't get it. Mm. And then they're blamed for it. Maybe, maybe the, the people in, uh, in Hollywood looked at it as, Oh, you're going to, you're going to throw shit at us. Yeah. Maybe that's what this was. Maybe well, they, his career being ended by this movie was all oh that's how you feel about us huh you feel like we're a bunch of gangsters who are out to do our own thing and then blame you if it goes what wrong studio was this released from well, 
Warner. Warner. Warner well, okay. all, all three of his films are through Warner. I mean, well, I mean, another thing is he had to fought for Rosalind Russell for Auntie Maine because they said that um, she was too old to be in movies at that point. Right. <sighs> what a what a tragedy so, that would have been if somebody did, she but, never got. Then, but then I guess you know from what Joe was saying, if you think about it, he you know they wanted to film the film and they didn't want E, but they were forced to. He was forced to use the Eve, you know the right, mold. right. So I guess that does mirror it, sort of thing. And maybe, maybe there was a lot. Maybe he had to fight for a lot of stuff, and maybe the 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 stress of doing this film was like fuck this. I'm going back to Broadway. I can just do my own thing and people leave me alone. Did and he I, go back to Broadway though? Yeah. Back to Broadway. He, he did another Patrick um, Dennis musical called little me. Um, um, I know that by one. His name, um, which was written by um, Cy Coleman. Um, he did quite a few little things here. Um, let me go into his page real quick. But yeah, he I mean he did go back to Broadway and stuff like that. And then he, he continued working and then until he died situation. He did playing in fancy, no time for sergeants, um, the women. He directed the I Stay love that movie. Maggie, Maggie Flint's um Saratoga. Um he continued to win Tony Awards until he died. So and he died in nineteen eighty nine, so he lived so. a good life. Yeah. And I have to there and say that, I you know I think, you know I'm glad I saw Island of Love and everything, um because it's the only the cost of film I've never seen, and I couldn't understand it's like why didn't you only make three? And it's hard to find. Me and Joe have a couple copies, thousand bucks. It's not it's not hard to find. It's just you can't stream it. You'd have you have to buy the DVD. That's the only. I way couldn't even find the DVD, dude. I looked everywhere. You got the last one, I think, on Amazon because it wasn't uh -oh. there when I went back. Well, I had, I had to order. Mine I, I had order mine from Amazon in the states. I think, yeah, I did. But you, you said yours actually had a had like an actual menu and stuff. My, ours yeah, mine had a menu fun. bonus for some reason. No, I got mine off eBay. Oh, okay. that's where I got mine, eBay. So, because I couldn't find it anywhere, and I, to be honest, when I when I programmed this for us to cover, I thought it would be quite interesting to do some more Martin DaCosta films because you only did three. Right. I thought, okay, well, you know. Well, I've seen these two. It'd be good to see the third one, and it's got a good cast. Never heard of it before. Why not? And I thought that basically I would be able to find it on YouTube or something like that. And I have to sit there and say that even the trailer is not on YouTube. So I can't find nothing. There's a few excerpts. That's it. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record. This is why physical media is important because physical media is the only way to see this movie because it doesn't exist otherwise. Yeah. Well, you know what, anywhere? Joe? I totally get your point now. After this, you week. can't even rent it on Amazon. I totally you have get to your buy point. a DVD. Point learned and taken. So yeah, there's there's movies that you know these studios are just gonna let go. Yeah, and if you, and if you ever want to see it, this is the only way you're gonna see it. It's it's important that we keep it alive. It's important that physical media yes, remains it is. alive. It is. Well, I mean, that's what scares me about. Um, the Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, because they haven't released that in Blu-ray at all. And so you can only get the DVD. And so it's the original pressing of the DVD. That would be interesting so. to watch in Blu-ray. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's like... I'm afraid, uh, I'm afraid they're going to it's going to be out of print. And I'm thinking to myself, should I buy another copy on DVD just in case they don't... You know... I mean... I went through I went through a little phase a couple a couple years ago where I was like you know there's a lot of movies that have only been released one time 
Um, and it, they're historically significant, like the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, Peter oh. Sellers' final movie. And it's only been released once on a DVDR by Warner Archive. And what like, movie is that? Uh, the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, the final movie that Peter Sellers made before he, and it came out posthumously because he died, I think, immediately after finishing the movie. And I'm like, and nowadays, it, nowadays it's going to be problematic to release it anyway because of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Interestingly enough, I was watching. Um, uh, I was reading up on Roald Dahl because um, we're going to be doing the witches, so I've been doing some research on that. And in this country, six years ago, Puffin Books in England took his books to Roald Dahl against his wishes because it's in his wishes that basically that even after he's died, they can't change anything, and they sent it to this team called Inclusion writers and they've taken everything out they take it out you know augustus goop is no longer fat he's just augustus goop because they don't want to offend anyone who's fat they didn't want you know and they they took all the, i mean we're talking about like oompa loompas are just little that's it so, so when you and when you and when you read this and the thing about raw you know and, and when you read this um and the thing when you read the original text anyway there's nothing there, I mean, the Oompa Loompas he did change because they were from Africa, so he changed them from Oompa Loompa land, and they didn't, they they no longer were black pygmies, which I can understand the cha- why he would change that, but he changed that himself, um, back in the seventies. But to take, but that, but when you read, when you look at that Matilda James and Giant piece, they taken off what if he was, they taken out that Charlie was skinny. They taken all that out, so basically. Charlie's just Charlie, and there's no descriptive text or anything going on now. You see, and the, 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 kind of sad. the you problem with this, you know, is you you should leave these older texts and older movies alone. Please put put a warning on it at the beginning. Going, hey, yeah, look, think yeah, times were different back then. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, they have. I mean, the thing is that they have a thing about. Um, I mean, you, you, still, you see films today and they put a warning on it. It's like, for instance, if you're watching a film from the 80s and 90s and they're smoking, they'll go, smoking. Yeah, you know, I that's saw fine. that. Put it on there, I I'm fine. A, I saw that on a Blu-ray the other day that there, there was a warning on the back that the film contains people using tobacco. And I'm like, what? Yeah. People are Why offended by better? just about anything. Welcome to the world of cancel culture where everybody's uh, upset the, about the other something. Day, there's a there's a new movie coming out with uh with Jenna Ortega where she's I saw that. Oh, you sent the trailer. Yeah, it, it, it looks like it's gonna be an erotic thriller. Looks good, actually. She's an 18-year-old and they make it a point in the trailer. Immediately as the trailer's opening, they show her but doing her 18. makeup. She says, I just turned 18. And the movie basically looks like it's her trying to seduce the much older Martin Freeman. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And at the end. At the very end of the uh, of the trailer, there's a fucking trigger warning. There's a warning that you know this film is going to contain complex themes, and if you want to read about uh, read about those complex themes, go to this website. And I'm like, Are you shitting me? You didn't see it? No, watch I didn't tra- see that. I'll watch, watch it again. Trailer. I'll watch it again. I didn't like, see that. <sighs> I'll I mean, go I back can, and watch it again. I mean, in all fairness, I can understand putting a warning on something if someone's going to be triggered. I'll, I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. I, mean, I, I have it on my Warner Brothers um, collection of Looney Tunes where I get Wolfie Goldberg going, 
da 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 during the time period that people some people might find this offensive i'm okay yep. with that because i can skip that or whatever that doesn't right, bother right. me but it's better than just obliviating like it never happened yes well the other the other issue with that is if we just pretend it never happened then we can't use it as a learning experience thank yeah, you right. And we and, and, we'll, and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll repeat those mistakes in the future for nothing. Exactly. Hurt. Whereas yeah. if we go, hey, you know, I was watching a Humphrey Bogart movie a couple weeks ago, and a guy shows up in blackface. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it's a 1940, you know, 43 movie. It's going to happen because it was. Well, I mean, it's funny how they never mentioned Rolling Thunder for Robert Downey Jr. anymore. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, all right. We're about their white chicks. They don't talk about white chicks anymore. Here's either. the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Tropic Thunder, is that's the whole point of the character, is that he's so dumb that he doesn't right. realize that what he's doing is offensive. It's the whole purpose of the character. So you remove the yeah. So if you remove the context, it just looks like Robert Downey Jr. is playing is doing blackface for no reason but he's playing an actor who's so dumb that he doesn't realize it's offensive that's i haven't that's, seen that in a long time god that's been out for a while it's a great well, movie it's funny but i was watching banana rama videos the other day there's this there's this one scene where they're doing the song i want you back da, da, da. There's like, and there's one scene where they're dressed up as the supremes it's like oh god <laughs> it's not good <laughs> Forgot about that show. Yeah. I don't, like, I mean, but I mean, I I agree with you. I just think that you know, there's no sense editing or anything like that. Another thing is, you know, if you're offended by that, don't fucking read it. Don't fucking watch it. I'll try to watch Gone with the Wind. You'll get a fucking twenty minute history lesson about how bad the South was and everything. We all know the history. Just let me watch the movie. We don't agree with it, but we like the movie. Well, it's not. I mean, I mean, in no way, and it, I don't. I mean, I don't. Maybe I'm missing something. But when I when I've seen Gone with the Wind a couple times, I've seen it. I mean, it's a long movie, so three and know, a half hours. It's not. There's nothing I can bring out and just have a casual watch about it. But when I have seen it, I've never seen it. I don't see it from a point of view that it glorifies the good old days of having slavery. I, mean, I, don't I think know it's something else that the newer <laughs> generation doesn't seem to understand yeah. is that. For some reason, they like. I, I was discussing this with Sean the other day. Like villains doing bad things, they seem to think of these things as like endorsements, and yeah. I don't understand that. Like, yeah. you're gonna have a you know you're gonna have a racist character who's going to say racist things. That's the point of the character, exactly. The, unless the character is portrayed as a hero, it's not a problem, hmm. right? If it's a hero that's doing that, normally what you'll find is that you'll, if the, if the hero's making racist comments or misogynistic whatever, then what you normally find with that hero, by the end of the film, they've had some kind of redemption where they've changed their ways. Yeah, they right. realize that. And, and, uh, and then the, the villain or the bad person tends to get their crump as though they're normally murdered off or killed or... Or something horrible happens, they lose everything, or they end up friendless in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that's normally what happens to those characters. So it's kind of like, so if you look at it as a morality play, what's the problem? Because they get their confidence for being such an asshole to begin with. 
exactly. That's what I'm saying. There's either there's uh, either an arc where the character has to learn to not be racist, or there's um wait, what happened here? Oh, I'm getting a. I don't I, I don't know why you didn't just say that and he messaged that. They do do that with the boys series apparently. But yeah. but yeah, uh I I don't know why Yeah, like I I don't think it's an issue. If the character learns his lesson from it, then I don't understand why it's a problem at all. And I've never I mean, I don't maybe I'm a different kind of person, but I've never seen a person who's acted in a horrible sense. I mean, you know, I've never watched a film where I've seen the KKK show up and think, God, I'd love to be part of them. Um, <laughs> well, can I sign the up? Birth of a Nation. <laughs> you got to go back over a hundred years for that because Birth of a Nation, the KKK is the heroes. Yeah, but I mean that's like the twenties. I mean, and that's why I said, how many people and the uh, the people who are offended generation are going to watch the silent film? Yeah, also true. <laughs> so, I had to sit there and say though. Um, because of TikTok, whenever I see someone with like colored hair, I think they're going to be mad. I don't know for some reason. I think they're gonna... <laughs> something crazy. So, so whenever a blue uh, any person comes through and they got like great green or blue hair or something like that, where you know, I just think oh, something crazy is going to come out of their mouth. So I'm going to bypass them now because I've seen so much of the madness going on. So, so Davide, what are your thoughts of Island of Love? Are you Be still here? Because you're getting you're getting three copies of this for Christmas this year. Yes, you are. I've got a copy. Joe's got a copy. Everybody gets a copy. <laughs> you still here? Yes, this is I. Um, I can obviously I couldn't find it if it wasn't for you, Keith. I, I didn't know how I would have found it. Um, I'm really sorry. I don't have your technical background. I saw the movie from a different from a different perspective, let's just say. So I obviously, you know, see I kind of see like the you know the, the morality or the life lessons of the story and the leisure stuff and whatever. So I didn't see the real life teachings in the story, actually quite the opposite. It was you know morality in general or any teaching in general. So I, I was like, but it's fine. It was still funny. I really liked it. It was funny. It was cute. The story was a bit random, but it was okay. Uh, in in the story, you have from a point of you know, oh, you know, let's make a movie to the point of let's just move to another island. It's like watching two different movies that kind of connect. But it was okay. I enjoyed the story. But you're going to hate me forever. But I'm gonna say it. So maybe it's my European perspective. Fair enough. Forgive me. I'm not American. He's just going to hate. I ruined the magic of the show. However, there are three points that make me very, very confused. Fair enough. I'm happy to take feedback and say, no, you're wrong. Actually, this is not the way it was meant to be portrayed. Fair enough. I get it. But please teach me. Please tell me if I'm wrong. So the first point that I didn't understand is the pieces of like bases of archaeology thrown in the sea. They suddenly everybody believed, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine, we found them. And it's like, well, wouldn't archaeologists understand that there was just, like, somebody who actually threw them in the water? They would have dated them. And eventually it happened. Oh, but yeah, I used to be an archaeologist, and I guarantee you that's not how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think that's part of the screwball comedy part of it. Okay, so there was comedy. Okay, so it yeah, was made as a funny um, thing. Yeah, I think, I think it has more to do with, like, 
to to sell the island as an island of love because of Greek mythology that the Greek. Well, they had to prove that Dionysus was on the island for yeah, some which reason. Is, Dionysus which is like the god, which is like the god of sex, so therefore <laughs> people would be drawn to come there as a tourist attraction. I mean, okay. the the characters are kind of dumb. <laughs> you know, they're not exactly supposed to be like super intelligent people. Yeah. Well, they tried to come up with a good scheme, didn't they? But they they just couldn't seem to pull anything off. And then you throw. Well, I think I think what I think what kind of sets this up basically is like the beginning scene with Mar Walter Methow has a picture of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and, and he goes, "It'd be great to make a movie of this because I and, uh, I remember my mama telling me the story that now realizing that this actually comes from the Bible, so." So I think that kind of sets you up. Like once you hear that, I think it's supposed to like bring you into like this. That sounds like a real shitty movie they made too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would like to see that movie on rating series. I want to see it. I'd like to see some of it. Well, well I, the, I mean, if you think that. about what they're what they're going for, they're going for the producer who can't. Yeah, he although he agrees in principle on principle to let the director and the writer do their own thing artistically. And he tells him, you know, your racket's your racket. He can't stop interfering. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, uh, I mean, I guess another thing is, is that you know, if you take the whole thing of the movie anyway, it's just, it's you know, it's, it's it, he's a con man, and he's he's selling he's selling what he's doing, even though what he's selling is ridiculous. I mean, who's gonna want to? I mean, okay, let's take the Garden of Eden for instance. That whole story. That's basically a fifteen minutes thing. Uh, basically, yeah. there's not much that goes on. God creates Adam, creates Eve. They run around naked. They ride an apple. You know, they leave. They leave the garden. It's, That's it. The it's like the kind of court you see on Forty Second Street in the '60s. You know, like the little like two real nudist camp short. You know. And that's pretty much it, sort of. And to sell this off as a whole movie, that's you know. So I think it's meant to be sold as a farcial kind of a situation. And this is a guy who's who's basically he's Robert Preston again is playing a con man. He's conning everyone. Situation. So yeah. that's why. What was your yeah? Second? Vicky was Vicky was uh, you know nailed nailed it with that when she's like, he's always kind of a scumbag. He's always yeah. he's always well, he kind does. of a con he man. always plays some kind of bad person. He's like, a lovable he's a lovable con man. Oh, that, he's that's a lovable he con man completely. I love him in Grumpy Old Men. I mean that is far that's like art to me is Grumpy Old Men because I grew up like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we lived. I love Grumpy Old Men. Back but, to Burgess Meredith. <laughs> yeah, back to Burgess Meredith for real. <laughs> So, so I guess. Um, so, if you're gonna rate this, how many stars would you give it, Davide? Um, can, can I can I say the other two points? Yeah. Oh so yeah. Far. Go ahead. Oh yeah. gosh, go ahead. You gotta um, jump in. We got big mouths. The the, other, the, the, the um other one is a bit complicated. So maybe I'm not getting the period. Mm -hmm. uh, if I understand European culture in general, at least Mediterranean culture, which is Greek, Italian, Spanish, etc. If my mother, if I had, if I was 17 and my mother saw me going with an older man, she would have bit the shit out of me. Whether it was in the 60s and the 90s or even in 2024. So I don't understand that context. Actually, in that context, the mother would have much, it would have been more common for the mother to try with a man <laughs> rather than letting the daughter. So I, I, I don't get I that. I think that has more, I think that's more to do that. Um... 
at that time, uh, they, and I think what, I mean, you know, we're kind of looking at an American lens through a European thing as well. Mm -hmm. So they're not, they're not going to be a lot of realism going on here. But I think it's a matter of like, oh, he's, he's a successful businessman and um, my, my daughter likes him and she'll be well cared for and, and be mm -hmm. well taken care of. So I think it's more along that lines. Okay, okay, okay. But the last Yo one, younger yeah. women were expected to date older men at that point because they that because they'll have money where a younger guy's not going to have money most of the still, time he's still working his way up the ladder i don't i don't want my i said that's the idea where i don't want my daughter to live in a one-room flat i want her to have the penthouse in order to have the penthouse you kind of have to marry the 40 year old <laughs> instead of the 20 year old <laughs> Yeah, that, I, yeah I, that's I, the basic idea right there. That's the big. Yeah. That's entirely the idea. Look yeah. at our very own Anna Nicole from from down the street for me in Mahaya. And if and if you're and if you're lucky, you'll have a couple kids. And by the time he retires, he'll die, but you'll still be young enough. To die. <laughs> you'll you'll be you'll you be young enough money. to go after a twenty year old man at that point. Yeah. So you you know and you'll and you'll have and you'll have your you'll have your children and he'll be dead and you'll have the money so you'll be fine, and but you'll you'll but you'll be young enough to spend it. So. <laughs> but yeah, and then the last yeah, I, one, and again, could be just still the funny thing is there's a lot of Greek stereotypes heavily put in the movies. I mean, I see them as stereotypes. Um, I mean, if it was a Disney movie, they would have well, put the message at the beginning to say, oh, this is a better presentation. We do not see well, it. So people find it But they don't. So they I, didn't do it in a bad well, way, though. I mean, I think, no, 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 in a bad way. But no, but I, I, think you, I think you have to look at the time period. Okay, so mm -hmm. you say in Disney films, okay, let's, let's take Lady and the Tramp, 1953. The Italian ah, yeah, guy, he's coming out there, bringing out the spaghetti. Uh, bring out the spaghetti yeah. for the lady in the tramp. That, that's Playing the accordion. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, 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 that's a stereotype. That's a stereotype. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yes. Um, Pinocchio, the original 1940s Pinocchio, is full of stereotyping. I think. I guess uh, it just never really bothered me. It doesn't bother my mom. Well, I, I think you have to look at the time period at the well at the moment as well. I mean, the thing is, is you got to remember at this time period as well, a lot of stereotyping went on because people were not globally and worldly at this time. In 1963, if you want to go, if you want to go from America and you wanted to fly from, let's say, New York to California, you would basically that would be two years worth of your salary. It's yeah. not like today. Um, basically, you it's you, now two years of your salary, also. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, if, or if you want uh, to take the simple fact that you know, if you are in Greece or if you are in Italy, if, well, let's take Italy for instance. I mean, it's like you know, if you look at what your television, you know, what television would have been like when television first started and what films you were getting in 1960s, you know, you're you know, and you're not getting you know, you're basically just getting what's being fed to you situation i mean you know well i mean in like italy Joe said, it was different well, I mean, well if you look at well if you look at italy in 1963 the reason why they dubbed things is because the italian government did not that way they can maneuver they could manipulate the dialogue that was going on so that way people you know that they can give you sometimes it's completely do. different from the script too if you guys i'm sure you've noticed yeah, yeah. 
uh, it's I like think, that old, I, yeah, that's why that's why Italian and Spanish movies because uh, the 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 Spanish were under the the Franco regime at that point. Yeah, they didn't yeah. allow sync sound. I also didn't know until I talked to y'all was it last week, and I looked that up. That's really fascinating history. It's interesting what came out of but, Spain and what didn't. But you know, if you and if you look at American movies at this time, I mean, the thing is, is like American movies were selling overseas. But they were made. They're mainly made for the American audience, anyway. And to be honest, if you're living in Lawrence, Kansas, in the middle of you know, a mi in middle America, you're not going to have a lot of focal points of like I've you know, been to Lawrence, or, Kansas, or what an Italian is, or what a German is, or so on and so forth. So you would kind of broaden this to a, like a certain stereotypes, and I, I and then. Well, the question now, the thing is, is I think that this film walks a tight line because I think in this in this film, for me anyway, I think you're laughing with them and you're not laughing at them. No, that's true. That's because the people, that, the, people the, the people you're laughing at is the gangster. You're laughing at the gangster yes. for stupidity. And it's because he's a gangster and he's thinking, but I don't think we're laughing at him because he's Greek. No, so no, I think, no, for the love of God, so, I still, I still so like I the think, movie. So I think, so I think that's the reason, but I think that's the reason why, like, when you look at earlier stuff, you know, after the 80s, things got a bit different because people started becoming a bit more global. You got 24-hour news channels and so on and so forth, and yeah. we became more global. But up until that point, I think that, you know, they had, it's a bit like a little bit of shorthanding and about how to characterize people and get people what they like. Cause they, people kind of know the stereotype, but they don't probably know too much. Imagine about having Raiders of the Lost Ark flopping in 1963 with all of its stuff, what people yeah. would thought. Did you imagine I mean, just another time, another place? Yeah. When, you, when you think of Italian American rep or Italian representation of movies, like if you go back to it, it was always the, you know, the, the organ grinder with the monkey. Yes, it was yes. always that. If you um, if you watch hell, if you watch it, it's a wonderful life. One of the most beloved movies of all time. Uh, what is that Italian family's name that uh, that George Bailey helps out? It's it's just it's this Italian couple with like fifteen kids. Yeah, fifteen kids, and um, and and she's all dressed in black, like the husband just died or something. Yeah, I'm like, like it's just yeah. yeah unfortunately, you know, stereotypes were you know prominent in movies back then, but I mean. I think it's another way to yeah, just a sign of the times. A way to shorthand things as well. So therefore, it's like you know, instead of giving a person a history lesson of that culture, but then again, I mean, there are. I mean, it is problematic looking at it from today, sort of thing. I mean, like, watch any western before nineteen ninety. Yeah. And you got your Native Americans are pretty much like everyone but Native. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The Native American portrayal of the early westerns. It's yeah. got to be the they most heinous pieces of trash I mean, ever. I've seen George Kennedy with brown makeup on being a Native American in a couple of movies. <laughs> yeah. Um... I mean, even if you if you look at uh, professional wrestling, uh, fucking what's his name, uh, 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 Chief Wahoo McDaniel was uh, an Italian from uh, from New York named Joe Scarpa. That was that was the guy playing the Native American in that. So, oh look at that! Uh, well, at even that. the guy who was that Indian, remember the guy Keith? You do. He used to do the ads for um, pollution. He was an Indian guy, and they show him. Oh crying. yeah, yeah. Iron Eyes Cody. He wasn't even in a, an Indian. He was a Wah. <laughs> Italian. Was he? Cody I thought I thought Iron Eyes Cody was actually Native American. I, no, I he's Italian. Wrong. No, he was Italian. Oh, I mean, I didn't know, know that until a few months ago either. 
Well, I mean, when you watch West Side Story, I mean, most of the Puerto Ricans that are fighting the America, uh, the white kids are the same white kids that are the Jets. So. Yeah, I just, yeah. I got all the makeup. But even they, even for that, if you remember correctly, when we did that, they made them wear more makeup, like Rita Moreno and stuff. Yeah, the makeup, makeup. Yeah, Rita Moreno was too light skinned. Make for their, them look for more what brown. They... What the fuck was going through their head back? Well, I mean, I have to. I think, I think a lot of this might have. I mean, with West Side Story in particular, and some of these other films, I also think it might be Technicolor film film thing as well. There might that might have something to play with it as well. You think? Well, because um, if you look at movies at that time, and you look at the film stock and stuff like this, as far as the colorization of skin and stuff like this. Yeah, they, right. you, you, I mean, they, they had to put the makeup had to be quite heavy for the camera to pick up, especially right. in that sort of thing. And even though okay, maybe it's a bit too dark or whatever, but there might be a reasoning behind that because of the. You could get Blu-ray, you can tell. I could see people's peach fuzz. Yeah, blue, I mean, I every imperfection on close-ups. I would hate. Yeah, that. blue Blu-ray has done a lot of good, but when it comes it's to older movies, there's a lot of times I'm watching a movie. We were watching uh, Legend uh, yesterday, the uh, the Ridley Scott Tom movie. Bruce. Yeah, we were watching that on Blu-ray, and because of how high quality it is, you can see like where the unicorns had no, the. No, uh, are you serious? You can see the you can see, Tim, you can see Tim Curry's. Um, where where it's glued where the, the his headpiece is yeah. glued on. Oh, that's gonna just ruin it for me. I love Legend. It got a, a lot of people hate on it, but I loved it. I yeah, actually but the, but the problem the problem with high definition anyway is is that shows too much. There, there are things that were meant to be filmed in the shadow to hide certain exactly. things. Right. Like Jaws. Well, let's take Sleepaway Camp. Oh yeah, you know when yeah, you when he up in the doorway, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to know who it is, but because of the Blu-ray so clean, you know exactly who it is, and it's not the person. Yeah, the, there's a scene where it's supposed to be shot in silhouette, but the Blu-ray cleaned it up too much, and you can. So see you know who it face. is. Yeah, you can see the killer's face oh, before shit. it's revealed. I haven't seen him. Uh, uh, Mark Krawcheck, who's been on uh, been on the Batman podcast with us, uh, he did a podcast on Sleepaway Camp a couple of years ago. And I was on that. We and I, I had never seen the Blu-ray. I'd only seen the movie on, you know, on VHS and on DVD. And I, I just bought the Blu-ray. And I was like, oh hell yeah, this gives me an excuse yeah. to break it out. And I remember we were sitting there going, man, if you, if you saw this on Blu-ray, and you didn't know who the kid you were, you didn't see this movie before, it gets spoiled for you. Well, David, Davide picked it up because Davide was here uh, last New Year's Eve. And we watched Sleepaway Camp. It's the one where the girl, the guy, the little, the little girl ends up being a boy, and he's, she's going around killing everyone at the camp. And she has the penis. But oh. uh, you, but you, but you oh, picked yes. it up. It's oh, like, God, I forgot about that. When he showed up, he goes, "Oh, what's he doing?" Because <laughs> <laughs> you can see him. Because I have it on Blu-ray. So I mean, even Domino noticed it. It's like okay, look. But you know, so that's the problem with Blu-ray. And I, I'm sure he'd never seen it before. Now he was able to guess because the Blu-ray brightened it up too much. Yeah, possibly. So couldn't they so have put the, the original version and the and the remade version in the same movie and say, "Ah, oh, this is the original version. This is the Blu-ray version. So you have both versions. You can compare it." Yeah, they should have done there's some there's some sets that you can get the Blu-ray. They have the Blu-ray and the DVD on it, so you can get little sets. Some movies, but, not all. But they do have that. Like another another one that I've noticed, I promise I'm not shut up. In the in, if you ever watched the Beauty, I mean, I'm sure you have watched. We have watched the Beauty and the Beast. But if you watch the original version from the VHS in the '90s, at the beginning when they're telling the story, and there's a scene of the Beast like scratching the portrait. 
the older version was so dark you could not see how the beast looked like because it was very dark and then you could see it ahead in the story the newer version you see the beast as it is because it's very light and dark and i'm like oh, oh you know, no, so you I, don't have the surprise I, anymore no yes. actually um no the the different the difference in vhs and dvd or blu-ray is that vhs were not in widescreen format so what they would do is they take the picture and they would blow it up and bring it forward so what you got was on like so that's the reason why it's like you know, I, I guess if you see, well, I guess the the worst thing you can see on um, VHS was How to Marry a Millionaire, where you have Lauren Bacall on one side, you got Betty Grable on the other side, and you got Marilyn Roll on one side, and they would blow it. So what they do is they blow the picture up to to fit that square of the tele televisions were square. Right. Right. And so what they would do, then they would have these three people talking, and then you, and you would see the, the scan this way and scan that way and scan this way, and it'd all be really fuzzy. And then beating the beast with a VHS, and because it uh, it was it was a sixteen by nine widescreen film, that when they put on VHS, they blew it up. So what they're doing is you're missing a you're you're missing two thirds of the picture anyway. So that would make it darker um, on your VHS. So that's the reason. Why. Boy, that makes sense for some movies. I never thought of that. That's why VHS was always kind of weird when you are watching movies on television up until the up until widescreen televisions came. Right. Out. Right. That's the reason why it's like you watch movies on DVD for the first time. And you're like, whoa, because you're actually seeing the whole screen for the first time at that time. Unless you went to the movie theaters and saw it. Because before that, they, everything was blown up and pushed to the front. Yeah. And then if something happens, there's any action happening on the left or right side, then it, it would have these really weird things where it would kind of scan back and forth trying to catch the people that they're talking. So and then but and they called it. Wow, I never head. even thought of that before. And in order, in order to cover up a lot of things, they would darken the picture a little bit in order to, because when you're contrasting something and you're bringing it forward, what happens is you're kind of bringing the picture in front of your face, and so they would darken it slightly to sit there and make it a bit more watchable. Otherwise, it'd be very, very fuzzy. And unfortunately, in the case of like some direct-to-video movies, those versions are all that exist anymore. Hmm. I mean, sometimes I think they were also, uh, if you knew your movie was going straight to VHS, you probably compensated for that a little bit. Yeah. Though so there are sometimes, there are sometimes that they, for some reason, the, I think Basket Case is one of those that they've kept the widescreen format of. That there's was a, a bad of, one to do it with, too. But there's a couple, there's a couple straight to videos that I remember, like Masquerade would make Tilly and Rob Lowe. It's like now when they showed on TV, it's the widescreen version. So obviously, and that went straight to video, so I was even surprised there was a widescreen. I thought it was a TV movie that was glorified. But they probably intended it to go to theaters, and it didn't. So then, yeah, that version still exists. Because I think, like, if you're if you're doing like you know like the random like Don the Dragon Wilson movie, I think those were probably shot in four by three because they knew that those weren't going to go into the movie theaters. Yeah, yeah, I would say like probably some of those um, John Claude Van Damme films as well. The ones that, yeah, the the later, the ones in like the, yeah, the, after not not like the double um, impact or something. What was the one before yeah. double kickboxer or whatever? Well, those really early ones where they yeah. didn't realize it's only later when he became a star that they started releasing his stuff at the cinema. <laughs> yeah, or George Seagal, not George Seagal, uh, Steven Seagal, Steven Seagal, <laughs> another person who thinks he's Native American, um, but. But um, a lot of his films, like before he became big, were like, they're like ready for video, and then it's like, and then they 
I remember they really released them on DVD, so they have like this really weird format where they kind of widescreen and where they kind of taking the picture. They don't. Okay, I guess I, I guess I'm, I guess when they do it the opposite way, I guess is the way we look at look at Buffy. Buffy came out when t TV screens were square, and now they released them in widescreen. So what they've done is they take them. So what they've done is now because they squished them down now to give them that widescreen thing that you. They, they cut off the top and the bottom slightly and they pushed out the sides. And so what you can see in a lot of things is that you can see like the end of the set where it's not supposed to, where you're not supposed to see. Because <laughs> they've done it, they've done the opposite now in some things that are put that are shot in these the square format. Now they've gone to widescreen. So, uh, we can't just leave the the aspect ratios alone. Yeah, leave them as they were intended. I think yeah, like, better off. Like it annoys me when I'm watching a movie that was made you know, in like 1942 and it's obviously not supposed to be widescreen, but mm. it's fucking widescreen. And I'm like, just leave it alone, man. The um, TV Who are you does, doing this for? TV, TV does that really. It's almost like they're afraid that people are gonna, not going to watch it because they're not going to be, they're not going to get, <laughs> I, and I, I do, I do think that there, I think there is a, a part of society out there, a part of the audience that when they see a film that's squared, that I'm sure that there's someone's filing a complaint that for some reason the whole screen's not being used. And I'm sure there are and people that's, complaining. And that's, <laughs> that's the fucking argument that was being made in the late 90s when people were like watching movies on DVD and they were like, well, I don't like DVD because you don't see the whole screen. I'm like, no, you actually are seeing the whole thing. Because uh, they, they, they didn't think the top and the bottom of the screen was being used, so they thought they're being cheated. Yes, yes. And now it's the opposite. And I'm, but but with is that why now, that's like that? Is because no. it didn't fit before? Is that why you got this up here and this down here and some of your? Well, the, no. The re the reason being is because um, films up up until tell up until the incantation of television, um, for most films are square. So basically, they would fit. So so when they transferred, so when you saw the uh, televisions, they those films would transfer through. But of course. To get people more into cinemas, they start. That's when widescreen started coming in, or yep. Cinemascope, or VistaVision, and all the other stuff. And and that the reason being is that you can only see this as cinema that you can never see this film in the way it's meant to be seen on television. Right. So and and then of course then when the films did transfer and I make it you know if you can remember North by Northwest or Rear Window when they first came to television and they were really quite fuzzy looking and or on VHS. Right. Because you know they did what they you know they did. Then what happened was is like when D DVDs, I mean DVDs, when films VHS started really taking off, then they came out with these directors' versions like Alien or Aliens and stuff like this. Right. And they would come out the widescreen version, so you get the widescreen version. And that's when they would put the film back into its perspective. Right. Which, okay. Which, I didn't know that. I often wondered. And that's about why that. you had the top and the bottom, and of course it would fit on your. And of course, that would fit on your square screen, but of that course, that just drives me nuts when my my my, my CD or DVD. But you also have to remember that, that when you got when you got tube television, because at that time it's before flat screen television, so like that they were tubular. So right. and your screens weren't as that big anyway when that was tubular things. So yeah. so it did kind of so your pictures were a bit smaller because of it because of the way you screw. But then of course as we got to plasma and flat screens and LCDs, they became rectangular. So now what happens is the picture just fits perfectly within that rectangular right. frame. The same thing with your computer screen. Interesting, I didn't know that. But unfortunately for square film from up to the nineteen fifties. 
for some reason they don't think people are going to watch it. So now what they do is they make this false rectangular version of it, which it's kind of what they used to do with the film. So now they're fuzzy. And or you'll see a person walk across the screen and you might see from the nose to their mouth, but you're not actually seeing their forehead because somebody <laughs> that forward. You get that square look. And my my whole issue with this is the people who are gonna complain about that aren't gonna be watching a movie from the forties anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You know, and and if you look at TC TCM used to do it in the beginning, but if you notice TCM are a lot better about it now. But there was a while there, there, there was a, there were a few, couple years there where they were like doing this with films or, you know, and then, yeah, you know, artificially stretching them. Yeah, but but then again, then there were other problems with things that they were wide screening back when they were square television. That would be films like How the West Worked One, where they're done in supervision. It's basically the screen is probably like this big, you know, not that, you know, it's, you had to like squint. Seven Brides or Seven Brothers is another film that's kind of like super vision, super 70 vision, where it's like this. Because what, what they, those films were filmed that basically when they filmed those, when you went to cinema to see it, there was a screen you know, to your left, in the middle, and to the right, and this, and the film would take over that whole screen. So and it's a lot longer than what we you know what you see in the films nowadays. So that that would have problems when that went to widescreen <laughs> at the time. So do we just keep repeating the same mistakes? Yeah. Now we're just doing the opposite. Yeah. Damn. So I guess let's rate this. So how many stars do you give this then, Davide? I'll give. So it it wasn't. I wasn't bad. I liked it. Just. Yeah, so I would give it a three moon girls. Three moons. <laughs> three moon girls. But what about yourself, Vicky? How many stars do you give it? I have the five Robert Prestons. I loved it. Now, actually, wait, I did love it, but I mean, it wasn't as good as probably four between four, four and a half, five. It wasn't as good as Music Man, but it wasn't bad. And I thought it was beautifully filmed. Oh. I thought all the characters were endearing. Especially Walter Matthau. I've just got to find bloopers for that. Yeah, Walter Matthau, you're never going to find them. I don't think anything exists from this movie other than... Yeah, that. that's so sad. There's nothing, because I couldn't even find the movie. This I've never had such a hard problem. The, the trailer Joe means that physical media. Joe when you when, when you search correct. Island of Love, you get Love Island. Yeah. yeah. That's what I kept getting I, every time. I couldn't even do research on this movie. It's about basically a bunch of plasticine women dating plasticine men. Basically, who look very sexy yeah. until they open their mouth and then it, it takes it all out of the water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love Island, Jesus. But yeah, I mean the tra the trailer for this doesn't even exist, so it might it might not exist at all. So I just don't, I mean, did cool. they just want to eradicate this film? I've, I've I've known that films can disappear, but holy shit, this one's. I think it's big. I think it's one of those films that because it didn't do well, I don't. I, maybe maybe a lot like, of films don't do well. They don't disappear off the face. Yeah, but but normally, what happens if the film doesn't do well? Then sometimes it gets kind of get a second life on television, and maybe this doesn't get the second life on television either. You know, all they have is short clips, and there's only two on YouTube. And the rest of it, there's not even a freaking trailer. Yeah. So so that's going to be fun trying to put that together for the show. So <laughs> I just thought about that. I'm trying to find one for you, Dale. I'm not seeing it. 
Yeah, I've already. I haven't already worked out. I I had to work it out last weekend. So, but what about yourself, Joe? How many stars do you give it? Um, I'm gonna go with four because it's not the train wreck that I thought it would be. Like Vicky said, the characters are all endearing. I really love Walter Matthau in this. He's fucking hilarious. Tony Randall's great in this. Um, the thing about it is, every single actor from this movie that I recognize, I've seen in many, many better movies. So it's mm-hmm. not like. You know, it's, it's not the terrible train wreck I expected, but it's also not like this great movie on par with the Music Man or Maine. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's that aspect of it that I'm like, okay, am I going to give it five? No, because it, he's done so much better work. It's yeah. it's it's like, you know, The Godfather Part Three in a way. I, I like The Godfather Part Three. I don't, I don't even that. admit that that one exists. Okay. See, there's that end of it where people are like, "Oh, I don't even admit the Godfather Part Three is not a like a." It could have been more than what it was. It just was not. Yeah. Get half the actors in. Yes. But is is it more that the movie itself is really terrible, which I don't think it is, or is it more that it just doesn't live up to the first two, which are two of the greatest movies ever made? Sofia Coppola. That's what's wrong with The Godfather Three. <laughs> I, I, I will not argue. I will not argue against that because she's pretty bad in this. But she. Have you, uh, you know, on, on that quick question? Have you watched the the new cut of it? The new cut of it is a lot better. I didn't even know there was a new cut out. It's, new it's cut about out. half an hour shorter. It's called uh, Coda. Coda, oh, The Godfather Part 3. I saw the new cut like two years ago when it first I'll came out. I'll check it out. I didn't, I didn't know they did yeah, that. They I cut saw, about I, half an hour out of the movie, and it it, it makes it, it made makes a it difference, huh? Well, a lot better. Not, it's on Paramount Plus, the, the new version. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, right, I'll check go. it out. So I saw um, the other but, I was going to ask about that. So, But yeah, it's, you know, it's it's kind of like that. I don't hate it. You know, I, I I kind of enjoy it. It's just I when just you like look Robert at Preston. when it comes after Mame and the Music Man, which are both yeah. basically perfect. This is going to pale in comparison. Well, this so, looks like yeah. he was trying to pull off a comedy as opposed to the. I think he was also work. trying to make a statement about Hollywood and about what he was going through, having to fight with all these. That that could stuff. be because the band and that might be why the movie was disappeared. Well, that I might mean, be you got one. the bad movie, Adam and Eve. I wonder if somebody was trying to do that. Was he just shitting on somebody when he was doing this? Or <laughs> that might that might be why the movies disappeared. For I've all intents and purposes, anything like I've never had such a. I can't even find a freaking trailer for crying out loud. So yeah, mm. weird. I'm gonna give the movie a three and a half. I think for me, it's more of a curiosity piece. And I, I said before, it I, um. Music Man was if the Music Man ever came on TV or Anti Mame came on TV. Anti Mame, um, if it came on late at night, my mom would let me stay up and watch it, and I wouldn't have to go to school the next day. And this is one of the, and that, these are the right one of the two films. There's another film on the the Seven Face Doctor Lau is another film that was that felt that way. You've so, always yeah. loved that film. <laughs> yeah, like so book, I love it and, too. And, and they they have such cute childhood memories for me because it was like you know if the music man came on at like midnight I I, I, my my I, my mom would wake me up and i would have to watch them oh west side stories you're not the, the fourth one but my mom would wake me up at 12 o'clock the music man's on or anti-mames on or so on and so forth and i'd wake up and you know at 12 o'clock and then I, I don't have to go to school the next day and then my my mom and i would talk about it the next day and that's and they were the four films 
So, so they have so Morton DaCosta because of those two films holds a dear heart. So, and this one, um, I liked it, but I really can't see me pulling it out and watching it numerous times. Not so numerous like this, times, but I'd watch it again. If I'm bored on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon, I probably you know pull it out. But I imagine that I probably would pull out something else before it. But saying that, it's not a bad film. It's enjoyable. It's a bit disjointed a little bit, but I enjoy it. But I mean, I'm kind of thinking that compared to the other two, I'm slightly disappointed. Well, it doesn't hold a candle to the other two, but I, I yeah, know. and and you know that's it's a sad, but at the same time, there's some great performances in it. So I'll give it a three and a half. And if it if it if something happens, I'm flipping by and it ends up on television. I probably would watch it. So not quite sure I'd be dragging out my DVD to watch it on the numerous right. Unless I was really hard up and all my DVDs died, and that's the only one I had left, then I probably would watch it again. <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I would I would definitely rewatch this again. I, but, I have no issue with it. If I, I don't it's not that I don't have any issue with it, it's just I got I own so many that it's not gonna be the first one I pull off when I want to watch. Oh something. yeah, it's definitely so, not gonna be my first choice either. Precisely, it's like you know, and and I also I also um write things about would I show it to anyone who came over, unless they were a Robert Preston fan or a Morton DaCosta fan, I might like bring it out to show them because it's something interesting to see based on that, and they probably but, haven't seen it. Yeah, and but I can't see you know, I mean, or I mean, Walter Matthau. Dallas, uh, I'm, I'm kind of I was kind of wondering if I moved to Dallas, but I pulled this out for my sister to watch. Don't know. I liked it. I just don't know. I don't know what the future my 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 relationship with this film is for the future. But I'm glad I own it because now I can say I got all my more more to the Costa films. And you know what? Same here. I'm glad I just bought. I, I just bit the bit the bullet and bought it because I don't know if there's any other way I would ever be able to see this movie again. I would have not been able to watch it if I didn't buy it. Yeah. So yeah. And then, you know, and I'm glad to sit there and say that I have more to Costa made three films. Two great films and one film that's good. Yeah. So I own all three of them. So one film that's good. And maybe it was too inside baseball for, for people, for audiences back then, because it is a lot. I mean, while it is a screwball comedy. Right. It, there is that, that aspect of it where he's kind of making fun of Hollywood and, and is, you know, is your regular Joe from, you know, from Oklahoma going to understand what you know the 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 really insider stuff of you know the producer who can't keep his hands off anything and no you're going to use my girlfriend as your lead maybe he maybe back then in the 60s maybe the average joe didn't know that that was going on mm. and maybe that's why audiences didn't really take to it yeah i kind of just i you know it's kind of i think another thing is that i might have enjoyed it more if i could have found more information about it like the the maybe maybe there's problems with it or maybe there's more to cost to have problems making it or or some kind of background stuff but there's really nothing about this film out there whatsoever. maybe more than even even disowned it for all we know yeah so but saying that I mean, I I'm think I think everyone's good in it though. I can't I can't fault anyone in it whatsoever, and I can't fault the film really. It's just that it's okay. Next yeah. next week we're gonna have the opposite problem with me because I won't be able to shut the fuck up about the background of one of the movies we're showing next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, that brings us to the end of the Relations <laughs> Podcast, where next week we'll be discussing a Christmas horror story from 2015 and That's the night. 
Disney two British horror film classic Tales from the Crypt. As part That's of the one series. I love them both. Doctor Who will be continuing with Missions to the Unknown and the Myth Makers, which aired from the 9th of October to the 6th of November, 1965. And Make Remake will be back before the new year end with The Lion King from 1994 and the biorealistic one from 2019, also called The Lion King, surprisingly enough. And January, we start our new month with Death and Politics, where our book, the film, will be Once Upon a Time, will be Watership Down by Richard Adams and the 1978 film of the same name. Batman the Animated Series comes back with the Wearing Men Sideshow, A Bullet for Bullock and Trial. And of course our two for one next week will be returning next month with the Iron Giant from 1999 and the Monster House from 2006. Oh, I can't wait for those. <laughs> so it's good night for, for myself and good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. Good night, Davide. Moon! Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Vicky. Bye, guys. And we'll also pick you to you all later. Bye, Have you been a good little boy? Have you been a good little girl? <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a Christmas song, everybody sang along. You'd see the joy on every face, and the world it seemed a happier place. These songs brought us together, good time memories forever. Now I know what they mean, and what they've given to me. We'll be singing them over and over and over again Every December they get in our heads Turn them up, play them loud Every Christmas should be the same Singing them over and over and over and over again They say they're good for the soul But someone tell me I don't know Why no one seems to write them no more So the only way to settle the score Is to all make way for a new one That keeps the heart of the old one With a little bit of festive cheer And you'll know when Christmas is near When this record appears Once a year you'll be singing this over and over and over again Every December you'll hear it and say Turn it up, play it loud Every Christmas should be the same Singing it over and over and over and over again It's getting in your head, it's getting in your head And if you're not singing it all night You'll be telling a Turn it up, play it 